You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to the GGTMC. We open with that moody little nugget there. So, oh, chills! I'm not even lying. <laughs> Some of my favorite themes there from Mr. Carpenter. So, had to get that in there this week. Yeah, so we are here. The uh, the uh, duo from Chocolate Chili Town, ready to <laughs> rock and roll and uh, cover some movies. Do our DiabolicDVD.com show. As always, head over to Diabolic DVD, buy you some movies. Make sure to tell them that the GGTMC sent you over there. We've had a long-standing relationship with those guys, and we hope to continue that going Absolutely. through 2014. It's been been a lot of fun, to say the least. That's been fruitful. I know we have some some listeners of the show that have you know taken part in in, in supporting them, and we we encourage that. I mean, you know, it's no secret we get you know two discs a month, and we don't really ask for much on the show, but it's nice for us to be able to get a disc or two uh, as freebies and, and provide you with the entertainment you enjoy and, and uh, provide them the business that they need to keep running. So yep, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. And this week, it is, and this month, I should say, it was my turn to program. And uh, as you heard there in the intro, a little ominous score there. We do it. We're doing uh, Assault on Precinct 13 on Blue from 1976. Yeah. Right before we started bringing class to the trash. And uh, creep show from 1980 and two. So before I started bringing sugar to my coffee, ooh, 
<laughs> a little too much. How did I forget that? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't put any in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's always an eye opener. <laughs> Hello. Oof. <laughs> You've had an interesting morning already today. <laughs> Holy cow. Tell me about it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, we're a little behind uh, schedule this morning, but uh, we'll get going here quickly. Yeah. I want to see if I can roll through this whole cup with no sugar. Go for it. I don't know. Should I? I don't know. You you do what? You do one sugar? I don't do, any, you do more sugar. Than I don't me. do any sugar. I don't add any sugar. I just pour uh, like a teaspoon of uh, creamer in mine, and I'm good to go. But that's got a little sugar in it, so the liquids, like the liquid uh, flavored yeah. creamers, right? Yeah, yeah, the liquid flavored creamer. I just throw a little yeah. little French vanilla in there, yeah. <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I quit I quit adding sugar years ago because you know why. You know, I just I would add sugar to everything, and so I just quit. It's the same thing with salt. I quit doing that too. So years ago, salt thing very often. Yeah. So I just quit adding everything. I mean, if it if it already comes with a lot, why put more in it? You know what I mean? Yep. No, I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, (coughs) Light week. Uh, It was Christmas week. Everyone had a very nice Christmas. Happy holiday season, and Santa was good to you all. And yeah, we should say that. Hope everybody got a bunch of blues and some. Good old stuff, and everybody's kids had a great Christmas. I got no blues. I got no movie-related stuff, but I'm happy. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah, there you go. My wife sent away for some Packer Zubads for me. Nice. I saw those. Yeah, so I wore those Christmas. <laughs> they got to wear them today against the Bears. Yeah. Win and we're in, lose, and we go home. Yeah. You guys have been there before. Yeah. And it's in Soldier Field, so we'll see how it goes. So, hell of a game against you guys last week, it should be said. Yes, it was a good game. Yes. Yeah, really good game. I stayed up to fucking three in the morning to watch it because I taped it. <laughs> and I never can stay up. I'd always passed up. But something in me just kept me awake. And, uh, man, it's, it's, I hate when you, I tape a game only to see them lose and stay up. <laughs> yeah. you know? I know. You put in that extra time. Yeah. That's the worst. <laughs> that's the worst. But, uh, no, you get kudos to you guys. You deserved it, man. Um, yeah, let's see. We, we'll see. We we win today, and three other teams win, and we're in. <laughs> so, oh boy. So it's uh, I'll be watching a lot of football today. Actually, I'll be uh, doing the whole uh, Directv Mix Channel thing, where there's like five ga- six games on at once. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be like Eddie Arcadian with nine screens going. Yeah, yeah, or like Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, and, and Creep Show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. But it might be a little too hot to wear that cardigan indoors, bro. <laughs> Not if you're Leslie Nielsen, man. No, that's right, man. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get a whole lot in this week, um, but some classics, I guess, and revisits and stuff. Uh, so my kids wanted to watch Home Alone, and I didn't know how they'd like it if they are quite, quite, quite old enough, but William really wanted to watch it, and we had it, so I thought, all right, let's put it on. And uh, I hadn't seen it since it originally came out, and uh, I quite liked it this time. The boys really liked it. Some things I had to explain to them, uh, you know, not to toboggan down the stairs and that it's just a movie and, you know, some kind of <laughs> some things that maybe aren't quite uh, for their ears. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. That might, I enjoyed that it. That might be the last hurrah for children's violence towards adults that I can remember before politically before political correctness really got involved. Yeah, and this gets bad, man. I People know. are losing like the top of their, like basically the top of their heads, yeah, no. top of their scalps. Like Joe Pesci gets scalped, basically. Yeah, I know. It's very Looney Tunes in a lot of ways. 
very. That's exactly what I was thinking when I'd seen it. And some of that stuff is pretty funny, man. I love that house, though, the house that it's set in. Uh, it's yeah. always for sale. Like on, uh, I'll look sometimes and see famous movie houses for sale online. And uh, that one, well, it wasn't for sale. I don't know if it's still for sale, but it was outside of Chicago. And it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful house. But I was going to ask if it was actually in Illinois, but I guess it would be because Hughes, because I think Hughes, did Hughes write and direct or just write? Like, no, I think it was directed by Columbus. Oh, it was Columbus. You're yeah. right. It was Columbus. Yeah. But I think he wrote it. Hughes yeah. Did. He did all of his films, I think, in, in suburban Illinois. Yep. And serves, but it held up pretty well, I have to say. That's good. It's easy to see why Macaulay Culkin was uh, was a big star at the time. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it, it's it's hard to pull off being a likable kid actor, man. It really is. Especially when you're scalping people. See <laughs> when you're scalping motherfuckers. <laughs> I'll tell you, those pricks deserved it, man. They're flooding everyone's houses after they robbed them. The wet bandits. Wet bandits and stern. <laughs> And it was a, it was funny because I thought of the show because it was a reteam a Chud reteam with John Hurd and uh, and Daniel Stern. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Depending on what I eat, and if I'm not feeling well, I can be a wet bandit as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You and me both, man. The only person I'm uh, sabotaging there though is me. <laughs> yeah, well, that in my drawers. But, yeah. yeah, can't go commando uh, those days. No, when you could, you'd have a tie dye on the back of your pants, bro. That's the worst. Ooh. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm always. I get the older I get, the more I worry about that happening to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's an inevitable fun. part of getting older, man. <laughs> yeah. It's just, oh man, <laughs> a horrifying situation just to get somewhere and roll the dice on a fart. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is a roll of the dice. A couple of weeks ago, I had that moment where I'm like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I should I let it go or should I go to the restroom and let it go? <laughs> I think I better go to the restroom. Bust the most painful of all busts it is it is yeah. yeah william seems to lose on that bust a lot which means i seem to lose because yeah you know i'm always like just go to the washroom man sit in the toilet mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but you do the joys of parenthood uh, that's why we still keep wipes around um but christmas was great anyway moving beyond that uh just before christmas uh, the 23rd i finally 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 sat down and watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time in my life. <laughs> and I'll tell you, man, this movie was incredible. Yeah, very uplifting. I, I haven't watched that thing in forever. Yeah, I don't know how I'd avoided it. But I've never actually seen Miracle on 34th Street, so that's now that's the next big one to, oh, yeah. to knock off the block. But uh, this is an amazing film, man. It really is. I think it, it might be, for me, Jimmy Stewart's the best performance. Um. <clears throat> yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. You, you got to see some of the westerns. I think. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. There's he's he's in a lot of he's in a lot of great westerns. A couple of his westerns. Yeah, he's in a lot of great westerns. So, yeah. he has moments. I mean, you know, of course, Jimmy Stewart being he's one of those actors who has a unique delivery. So he's you know through most of his career, most comedians were doing impersonations of him. So, oh yeah, I think he's known for being Jimmy Stewart as much as he's known for anything. But he was a great actor. I mean, he he had a lot of great roles. I have to say. Yeah, he did. That is he one of his best, though. Him. I agree. That is one of his best. Probably top well, he five. He runs the Jimmy gambit Stewart. of emotions in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. He really gets a chance to stretch his legs on screen um, in the moments. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a tremendous film. I cried, I'll be honest. I did cry uh, at the end of the film with, you know, the richest man thing. And but, You know, you kind of get telegraphed at this point. But, you know, you can't help but be emotional at it. And uh, really great performances across the board. Reed was great. The oh, yeah. moment with the bridal suite made me tear up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's a real good film, and it's uh, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So nice. It's good yeah. to hear. Good I, to hear. I, my, my dad was saying, oh, they were talking about remaking, and I was like, it's just, oh man, why would you? What, what could they improve on that? Yeah. You well, know, I don't think they could really, but I'm actually surprised it's taken this long to even talk about that. It seems like one of those films that, sadly, it would be remade like often. <laughs> oh yeah. Totally, totally. But it's it's a, a high recommend. It's not just a Christmas movie. If you haven't seen it, you love film. I would implore people to go out and see it. It's uh, I know Loaf, uh, Loaf, <clears throat> ironically Sloaf, Sloaf. Well, Sloaf. Let's see what times I can say Loaf or Sloaf. Uh, loaf, <laughs> <laughs> the Deadly Doll, Scott and Cat Clickers. They'd all seen it for the first time within the past year or so, and yeah. we all loved it. Yeah, on that add me to that list. So, um. Two final watches last night. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, William said, "Can we watch Indiana Jones?" Yeah, um, it's a bit dicey. I don't know about this one, man. I'm thinking of melting Nazis or hearts being ripped out, and <laughs> and then I thought, wow, well, you know, I saw Raiders when I was about five. First VHS I ever owned. Maybe I'll throw in Temple of Doom. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty fucking violent. Um, I did remember the heart being ripped out. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, among other things, and the child slavery and all the shootings and and everything. But I, I walked my kids through the, the, the heart being ripped out thing. Um, you know, with special effects and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you have to reverse engineer things if you're going to have them watch anything that could be awful. But um, it, you know, it they, they loved it. And I'm glad I watched it with them because... It was one of the first times, um, despite some of it maybe being a little bit, a little bit heavy, in some ways uh, for them. It it was nice to see that movie magic at work on my kids' faces, and to see I'd glance over at them during certain parts, and to see them kind of like look nervous, and then to see that smile on their face when uh, when Short Round or Indy would do something and. They kind of pump their fists, and just to see that at work on your kids, it's um, it's priceless. Yeah, yeah. It reminds us, you know, why we love movies and and why we love watching them if, with people because yeah. it that communal joy that you get from from film is is um, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, it also reminds you why Spielberg was the biggest filmmaker of the eighties. <laughs> it does. I'll tell you, it's so pacey. You know, Doom takes a lot of bumps for being subpar compared to Raiders and I hadn't seen either one in probably about 20 years yeah um, I've owned them because I, I like them but I'd never have loved like some people there as, as big a part of their, their their life and their childhood is Star Wars and it was yeah. never the case for me yeah yeah you know I liked them wanted to own them figured maybe one day I'd trot them out yeah, when um, I was a kid I wanted to be an archaeologist because that's what I thought it was <laughs> well that's amazing <laughs> yeah. That's yeah amazing I thought man that's a great life yeah, yeah, for sure. You get to kill people with no ramifications. <laughs> yeah. Use a whip. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a dream. Um, you know, if you're a kid, if you're a young boy, it's like you know that shit's like crack cocaine, man, for an adult. Yeah, it totally is. It's just adventure, adventure. But, um, but man, yeah, they really loved it, and and it was one of those things. I kept. We have a big thing where we like to make popcorn with our air popper when we watch films, and I'll tell you, man, I kept saying to my kids, "I can't to get up and get it now." And I just kept watching and watching and watching. I couldn't get up yeah. because I'd say maybe the first um, – after like the first little moment in Shanghai, you know, there's about 20 minutes or so where it's kind of – they got to go through some exposition and stuff. But you know, once they get to the temple, it's just nonstop. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really good stuff. And yeah, it does remind you, you know, as much as I'll, I'll knock Spielberg, why he was as big as he was. Because, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty entertaining stuff. It's it's that that movie making magic. Um, I will say this though, and I said it on Facebook last night. People want to shit on the Fast and the Furious films for basically spitting in the face of physics. Have not seen this and the raft scene <laughs> yeah. because yeah. yeah, it's so ridiculous. It is. <laughs> Oh, it is so ridiculous, but... Uh, Even if that worked, the impact on the water would still be enough to kill you. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Totally. I mean, yeah, even if it worked getting out of the plane and onto the fucking snow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the snow is right. They didn't land on water. They landed on <clears> snow. I forgot. No, but they did fall off like a 300-foot cliff into the water. <laughs> yeah. Somehow it stays upright. So yeah. it's that thing. When you're watching film, if everything's working for you, you kind of have to suspend disbelief. Yeah, yeah. So... But yeah, and Short Round was great, man. My kids loved him. He was he was never a burden. You know, he was he was adventurous, resourceful. Not, kids liked that, you know having that that character to relate to in a oh, film. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, I wish they didn't hang Capshaw out to dry so much. Yeah, it seems like they took a step backwards in the female character department. Yeah. She was just, I, I found her charming in spite of how annoying and shrill they tried to make the character. Yeah, they made her very shrill. But man, I tell you what, when I was a kid, I had a real hard on for Kate Capshaw in that film, especially in that little out. In that little outfit with the uh, the bust up, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, she looks good, man. She's yeah. for like it being like an eighties, like forty year old ish. She still woman. looks pretty good, man. You should look her up. Yeah, no, she looked she looked real good. Even my wife said, man, she she looks pretty good for yeah. her age and the time period. So she's aged well. Yeah, she has, man, and uh, yeah, it's it's the most racist um, dinner banquet scene in the history of cinema, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, man. It's like this was in our childhood, but there's so much casual racism in it. Like, there's even a moment, um, I think, when Short Round is is walking into the temple, and there's all the bugs on the ground and they're crunching. Oh yeah, yeah. And he, he, I think, he ponders to himself. He says something like this. I'm, I may not get an exact right, but the key word I will get right. And he says something like, "Am I walking on fortune cookies?" <laughs> it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Am I walking on fortune cookies? Ah, uh, yes. Subtle. Well, anyway, but <laughs> subtle. But it held up very well, and I'm glad it did because it, it gave me joy to no end to see my kids' faces and you know good stuff. And then I finished my night with a surprise theater viewing. My uh, my father-in-law called me and he said, "Oh man, he goes, I really want to go see Grudge Match. Do you want to come?" And I said, "Well, I don't really want to see Grudge Match, but you asked me to come. And I love going to the movies. So let's go." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went to see Grudge Match and. Uh, Kevin Hart, I don't know how anyone finds him funny. Oh, yeah, he's a uh, he's a cultural thing, I think, and partially. Uh, I know I have friends that think he's hilarious. So, <clears throat> oh, he's terrible, man. He is terrible. But uh, I gotta say, uh, to cut to the chase, because we're running short on time, I like the film. Uh, like a six six point two five for me. Nice. Um, they. Yeah, that's, that's all I need to hear. I was I was worried that it might not be over very good at all. The, they they make some terrible directorial decisions to really drive home uh, some shitty things that characters do in the film, yeah. which I don't think they needed to do. I think they could have got to the to point B from point A in a more desirable fashion. Mm-hmm. See, the interesting thing about the boxing film is always the two roads converging, and who do you choose to root for? Right. They kind of take some of that rooting choice away when they have someone do some pretty despicable things and it's like oh, you didn't really need to do that 
I think it would have been more interesting to kind of have those roads converge and kind of be cheering for both. Um, I mean, they give some redemption, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's got some good moments, though it does, and a lot of nods to the, to the other films, like Raging Bull and Rocky. And It has my favorite. I don't know if the line's in the video, in the movie, <laughs> but I know in the trailer it has my favorite line from a trailer this year, which is, I took a dump on your porch. Yeah, that's that's what De Niro. I think De Niro says it to uh, Stallone. Yeah, my, my favorite line in the trailer this year. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, it, I'll tell you, I did laugh at a few parts. I'm not gonna lie, and I would never have seen it otherwise. You know, unless my. It's a good movie to go see with like a dad or an uncle or, you know, if you like sports movies. You know, it's 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 kind of a good one because it doesn't do anything new. It's it's yeah. not trying to reinvent the wheel. It, it's trying to be sort of a feel good holiday season type film. But yeah, my only concern with the film ever was the director because the director's not a very well, in my opinion, not a very good director. He's a very bland director. I think it's Peter Siegel or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he's made some stuff yeah. that I don't really care for. But, you know, it's De Niro and Stallone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll those dice regardless. Yeah, and like I said, there, there's a few nice moments. I think the kid that plays De Niro's son, and it's quite good. I think he's in The Walking Dead, from what I'd seen. And he, he actually looks like he's having a big year. He was in Wolf of, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and a couple other, couple other films. I think Basinger's fine in it. Arkin, I love Arkin's stick, so Arkin was good for me in the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I liked it enough, man. I, you know, will I buy it? No. Will I watch it again? Uh, probably not, but maybe one of those things like Gable, you know, flipping through one night, there's nothing on, I wouldn't be opposed to rewatching it. And I've always liked Sly as much as uh, some don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I've always liked Sly, and I think when he gets a chance to even show a shred of humanity, he had a real hard childhood. Um and when you kind of see some of his vulnerability on screen amidst beneath the 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 surface sort of swagger, I think he can really emote. And it's they could have made this film into a real, real, really well made drama, mm-hmm. um, you know. And uh, and I think it could have been something really amazing with these two old fighters and, and some of the things it's trying to say. But they didn't. They went for sort of the lowbrow holiday feel good comedy with with dick jokes and. Kevin Hart, but uh, but you know, in spite of all that, it, it worked fine for me. Like six, six point two five. So that's it. Nice, nice. See, Rich Little's in there. Rich Little of all people in Grudge. Yeah, Rich. yeah. Wow. Tell me about it. What a dickhead LL Cool J is in it. Like so needless. <laughs> all right. Nice, nice. I only watched one other thing this week uh, outside of the films because it was Christmas week. I was very busy putting together toys. Oh uh, yeah. All kinds of stuff like that. Uh, having fun playing a lot of Super Mario 3D Land with my son stuff like that <coughs> nice and uh, so I only watch Iced the uh, the film that oh, Carl yeah. was talking about and the Mad Loves and stuff the uh, ski resort slasher uh, sort of film uh, it's it, it's it's not bad it's a shot on it looks like a shot on video so it's of that era and uh, it moves slow so i have to i have to warn people and you know i have to be honest it does move slow i did it, it i did find it charming uh not in a, a feel good christmasy kind of way but a uh a an era of uh horror films that was being made in the mid to late 80s and uh it's just really it's interesting it's just you know it's it's ultra cheap it's obvious you know, you got a couple locations and uh, a little idea and stuff, and the ski scenes aren't very well done and stuff like that. But it's it's definitely of its era. You know, I'd probably give it a you know probably a six, maybe maybe a little. No, nah, no, a six would be good. Six would be good. 
but it's 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 worth a watch and i and i, I can tell you we might cover it at some point because um nice there is some really odd stuff that happens that would make for some great conversation for sure <coughs> so yeah oh and you're talking about the guy that plays the kid you guy that plays the kid for de niro joe barenthal yeah yeah yeah. he looks like de niro i've always thought that if they ever do a de niro biopic that's who they should use he looks like de niro in raging bull yeah he does he really does looks a yeah, lot he's, like him. he's good in the film um, I liked him actually enough that I looked him up and wanted to see what else he was in. Yeah, he's, so again, the material he's given is limited. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He could sometimes I think overact, but I, I like him. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and and he might be one of these guys that only has sort of Mark Wahlberg range, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in the right projects, you know, you could kind of get behind him. Yeah, he's got a great thug face. Yeah, he does. He was he good does. in that uh, rock film I watched, which wasn't so great. Was okay. Oh, the Snitch. Snitch. Yeah, he was good in that too. Yeah, I'd seen that. I'd seen that. So, oh, seen that he was in that. I should say. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious to see if you, you know, you halfway didn't mind it like I did. Well, I'll check it out at some point. Yeah. Um, that's about all I got. You know, uh, he's also going to be in that new uh, David Ayer film, that Fury film, that uh, World War II uh, Brad Pitt movie next year. Oh, nice. Yep. So. Nice air is doing a lot, man. He's got that Arnie one this year, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Which looks you know, good. We we'll see, see how it goes. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I like air, but uh, I do. I really do. But well, we'll see. Um, and we should say t- today is as uh, fine friend's birthday. It's uh, John Babe Mazook's <laughs> Doctor Zom's birthday today. Yeah. Sly's number one fan, baby. Yeah, speaking of Sly, I thought of him last night. I thought about Sylvan Gold reviewing this film on the show. But, uh, yeah, so happy birthday, babe. Yeah, happy Hope it's birthday. a good one. You kooky bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, man. Good one. All right, so that's all I watched, yeah. So it, it, that's on YouTube in full. Uh, I talked about it a little bit when uh, Carl and Matt were on. But, uh, yeah, check it out. It's uh, It's worth a watch, especially if you like that kind of era of uh, horror, so. Uh, it's unique to say the least, and you do get to see uh, Adam's family, the original Adam family. Wednesday, she she is quite nude in the film, and she has maybe the biggest '80s hair I've ever seen. Wow. I'll give it that. I mean, it is like a nice. helmet. It is like a helmet. It is amazing. So Fantastic. definitely check that out. All right, we're gonna take a short break. Come back and talk a little. What do you want to talk about first here? I mean, it's like uh, picking. <laughs> oh gosh, it's tough. <laughs> Um, do you have, um, uh, boy, um, let's do a song. Yeah, let's do it. I was going to say, let's do precinct, man. Let's do it. All right. We'll be back right after this. hoping that uh, promo doesn't uh, fail me. I need to uh, something to For start real. happening there, bruh. <laughs> yeah, I was just that's what it said in my head. It's been a long time. It's going to be a longer time. <laughs> yeah, let's get it going there, buddy. All right. Yeah, come on there, bye. Our first film, sold on Precinct 13, uh, 1976, directed by one John Carpenter. 
the lone inhabitants of an abandoned police station are under attack by an overwhelming by the overwhelming numbers of a seemingly unstoppable street gang. This movie has one of my favorite posters, it should be said. And uh, this was one of Which my first. Uh, well, I like a lot of them, but I do like the one with the giant person over the city. I love that one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The red, this red and black, basically. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of great posters for this. The, the Blu-ray comes with a great reversible cover that you can yeah, slide out. Yeah, I actually just switched it to the old school one. Yeah, I did, too. I did. I switched it around because it's really nice. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this is uh, this was one of my first Laserdisc purchases back in the day. Should be said also. Oh, nice. And one of my favorite commentary tracks uh, from Mr. Carpenter. This one actually adds a car, uh, commentary track with Tommy Lee Wallace because he was a production designer on this. So I haven't listened to that one yet, but uh, it's a great Carpenter track and stuff. So I know we've both seen this before, but what did you think on your revisit to Assault on Precinct 13? Well, um, I quite enjoyed it. I think full disclosure, we're both big fans of both films this week. But but it was a bit daunting to have to look at them both through more critical eyes and yeah, kind of take yeah. some of the rose-colored peepers off um (laughs) i have to ask you is this john carpenter's best score um you know i really like escape from new york a lot um uh but this yeah i don't know uh this might be my favorite theme of his uh, but i really do man it's 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 between those two i mean halloween's iconic and i and i like it a lot but uh, and anybody that hears it knows it, right? But uh, I think Assault and uh, this one kind of get overlooked sometimes for uh, the theme, for the po- for the for how well the theme is done. So I really like both of those themes quite a bit. So it'd be between those two. I mean, right now as yeah. we're talking about it, this is probably my favorite. But when, if we ever do Escape <laughs> from New York, it might be my favorite when we talk yeah. about that. <laughs> well, it's funny because in my head, I felt bad. Poor Todd. He's you know our fellow gentleman. Uh, I was talking the other night, and I said, "Man, we're doing a, we're doing an Escape from New York on the show this week." And he went crazy. He's like, "What?" He goes, "You're doing Escape from New York on the show this week?" Because it's like one of his like favorite films ever. And uh, as he said it, I'm like, I replayed. I'm like, "Oh no, we're not. We're doing Assault." <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was just kind of ironic. I'd mixed them up. Well, it's not really super ironic because I mean, it does have the the Carpenter kind of protagonist, the Darwin Johnston character. Johnston character is. Even he has said that it's kind of a precursor to the Snake Plissken character. This sort of, yeah. um, you know, criminal, badass, uh, one-liner, tough guy type character. You can definitely see the Snake Plissken-ness coming through. Like, if you just stuck oh, Kurt Russell if you stuck Kurt Russell in that role, he would have been just fine in it. So. Yeah, no, you totally would have. Totally would have. But yeah, this is his first film, we should say. I mean, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about probably is remote, is really well-known to our listeners. because Second film, actually. Remember. That's, that's what, did I say first film? I was about yeah. to say, if yeah. I didn't, first film after Dark Star. Yeah, there you go. It was Dark Star was his college film, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a student film. And this was first studio film, I think, right? Yeah. And he made something but, else. I think he won like an Academy Award for a short film he did. For a short, yeah. Yeah. That's right. But uh, it was very early in the... Uh, the career and in fact man i've been sitting on that dvd with that that big figure over the city cover for years oh have you <laughs> yeah i just nice gave that upgrade. to i just gave that to somebody for kringle and stuff uh it was one i refused to let go because it wasn't it wasn't a cheap one to get and i don't think it still is maybe it is now but it's a great dvd yeah no it totally is man but um it's uh yeah 
it's a film. It, it's very interesting to go back. Look, this film's thirty years old, right? Pretty much, just a few years shy. Uh, one year shy. One year shy. Seventy four. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up on. Uh, well, seventy six. Seventy six. What was it? Seventy six. Yeah, dark even still. I yeah, mean, dark star. Seventy seven years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 20. it's amazing when you think about it. It is amazing because in some ways it's time. This is some ways it's of its time, but never, never certainly in a bad way. But what's ironic is um, we did a uh, assault inspired French film before we ever covered assault when we did the nest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And siege films are a, a personal favorite genre of both of ours, right? So yeah, so we both enjoy the siege, the siege dynamic. The siege dynamic is great because what it does is it, it thrusts characters into a desperate situation and they have to make very bold, heroic, and sacrificial choices um, for the betterment of everyone. And people's real true colors, as far as their characters go, start coming out when yeah. bullets are flying through the windows and they're running low on, on uh, ammunition and people are going down. And it's when you really start to see the ugly and the fine side of humanity as far as genre film characters go. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, I think that as far as remakes go, this is how you do a remake. I mean, it's a remake real Bravo, right? It's, it's updated. It's, it's contemporized enough. Things have been rejigged, um, that it feels fresh and feels relevant. Yep. Right. Which I think is, is interesting. I mean, it's not a Xerox. It, it's everything's, you know, the setting has changed. Um, <laughs> because in real Bravo, correct uh, me if I'm wrong, he takes up arms with his friends. He doesn't take up arms with any criminals, right? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, does he? Is there one criminal? I, don't, I can't remember. Is Dean? Is Dino him? Ricky Nelson, Angie Dickinson, and then his old uh, drunk friend, right? Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Yeah, but the uh, I, I haven't seen Real Bravo in forever. But I mean, obviously, this is a hardcore take on. I mean, not hardcore, but a a very obvious riff on. Rio Bravo and and Carpenter has said you know that's one of his favorite films of all time and uh, oh yeah you know that's kind of what he took on after Dark Star he kind of wanted to establish himself and I, you know I I know these are more of the kinds of films he wanted to make and you can say Ghost of Mars is a lot like this as well and, and yeah absolutely you can even Vampires has moments that are very Assault on Precinct Thirteen so it's something that he revisited quite a bit um, but. I know that this is kind of where he wanted to go, but you know, of course, Halloween kind of kicked him into a uh, a world of uh, more of a you know, well, not fantasy so much, but definitely more of the supernatural and horror and things like that. And and he's he's you know he's good at that. And uh, but I think you know he always and you kind of talked about this one back a long time ago when you did your one man review on the street of the ward. You know, mm -hmm. he's always wanted to make this full blown western. You know, I just wish he yeah. wish he would go ahead and just give it a shot. It seems like somebody would give him, you know, four or five million dollars to make the western he's always wanted to make. So it's really too bad because he knows that world so well and mm -hmm. loves that world a great deal. And the themes he's dealt with in other films of his, uh, whether it's different themes like in um, Escape from New York or in The Thing, dealing with um, the themes and issues in those two films, they translate well into the western again to reverse them back to that era. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate, but um, yeah, it's it's a really fine. I consider it a remake in a lot of ways, um, uh, but it's it's fascinating. It's how you do remakes well, and then it's interesting to look at the how many films have come through Rio Bravo and then come through this. It's that great thing as cinephiles, 
to connect the dots through history and to see something like Eel, the French horror film, how influenced that is by this. Yeah. Because the one thing yeah. this does that Rio Bravo doesn't do is it keeps its um, its villains faceless for the most part, other than a few early exceptions. Other than the initial four, yeah, with the uh, yes. the, the blood oath, which is the blood oath. <laughs> it's very bizarre and very. You know. It's kind of effective for me, though. It's kind yeah. of like very um, almost Shakespearean or something. It works pretty well for yeah. me as, as yeah. much as it's subsurd multi or sort of, uh, I guess, multi-ethnic gang. It somehow kind of works for me. Yeah, yeah. No, the multi-ethnic gang works because, you know, I think he's trying to make a statement that, you know, <clears> gangs <throat> in the future will be not in the future so much because this movie's not set in the future, but. He's trying it to feels say like it's on the edges of the, the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, I think he's making a little... I mean, the film's much more political. When I, when, I, when I review it as a, you know, amateur critic or whatever you want to call it or a podcaster here talking about movies, uh, I realize more that this is a very political movie. Very political. And uh, even a point... There's a point of dialogue that I wrote down this time that I never really paid attention to before, which is there are no heroes anymore, only men that follow orders. yeah. And it, it's interesting how political this film really is. And, of course, we should also say that the gang is uh, – one of the gangs is called Street Thunder, which is an awesome name for a gang. <laughs> it totally is. It, it sounds like a name of, like, um, an Italian post-apocalyptic gang. Yeah. Sounds like my porn name. Street Thunder, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, I changed it to Taint Thunder. Taint Thunder, man. <laughs> Thunder in that taint. Ooh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No, you're right though, and I think there's and another thing I'd never realize, as obvious as it is now, because it had been probably about nine or ten years since I'd seen it. Yeah, it's been that long for me too. So. Yeah. Um, how indebted this is to not people always see real Bravo, real Bravo, real Bravo. But how indebted this is to another siege film. That people sometimes forget is a siege film because it's a horror film. That's Night of the Living Dead. Yes, completely. It's uh, there's so much that's indebted to this, right down to the dude trying to get away in the car. Mm-hmm. It's very Night of the Living Dead. Very Night of the Living oh, Dead. Oh man, throwing that and and that and the African American protagonist. Yep, yep. There's so much sort of between the two. But again, when you get a great director who loves film, the homages he pays feel organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like sort of shameless ripoffs. Um, and I used to think Austin Stoker, who is the lead, I used to think he was very stiff in the lead. But revisit this time at all? Yeah, revisited it this time. It, he totally feels natural as this uh, cop. He's stoic. He feels like a throwback to a classic Western hero, like um, like uh, what's his name? I worked with um, Bud Bedecker. Um, oh, Randolph Scott. Uh, he feels like a Randolph Scott to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I really do. And I like that his his character is this character who loves his job. It's obvious when he steps out of his house. You know, he's looking around. He enjoys his job. He enjoys his surroundings. He's having a good day. And yeah. I, I love that his day, well, you know, I don't love for the character to, for his day to go bad, but for the story for me to enjoy it, I love that his day starts one way and ends another way. And I like that they don't make, they don't make him a real whole, uh, hardcore kind of stone-cold killer. Like, he just seems like a good guy cop he doesn't seem like the super cop you know yeah, yeah and he looks which past makes, the, yeah, he looks past like the the criminal element which i like to you know mm-hmm. survival Again, becomes a, that. yeah yeah well he totally does but <clears throat> it, it, that's sort of the 
the subtle sort of social commentary that I think Carpenter's making. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, with some of the institutionalized <laughs> stuff. That, yeah, who's uh, the real bad guy, right? That's right, and stuff we've talked about on the show uh, very, very lightly because we don't tread on these waters, but <laughs> yeah. some of the institutionalized um, stuff that happens. Uh, well, I mean, he, Carpenter's a filmmaker of an era. You know, a lot of people forget yeah. that, that the 70s filmmakers, um, a lot of them were political and and uh, very much fearful of the oppressive nature of the American government. And uh, I think that, I mean, the opening of this film is probably as point blank as you get as far as oppressive <laughs> uh, oppressiveness in, uh, in modern culture. So, you know, Romero was the same way. I mean, these guys were, and I think that's what made the 70s horror filmmakers so special. It's not that they were full-blown political, but it's that they they never treated the genre of horror as something lesser than the genre of drama or the genre of comedy. Yeah. I think horror films still to this day, I think they get a bad rep and really, oh, they totally do. They totally do. And listen, there's a lot of great horror films nowadays, but I feel like, and I think you'd agree the best horror films we're getting nowadays aren't necessarily pure horror. They're, transgressive films from the likes of Von Trier and No Way and, and Refn. And these guys and Mike, people that use a framework of horrific things happening yeah, uh, as opposed to I have to have a creature, there has to be the body count, these are the archetypes that they have to stalk. Right, right. Our, our, our heroes, our Romeros, our carpenters, um, they ne- our Toby Hoover, whomever, they never use the genre as just the genre. They use the genre to speak on a lot of other things that were happening that they were, like you were saying, involved with and engaged in and, and living through. Yeah. And these are, you know, these are filmmakers that came of age in the late sixties, early seventies, you know, you got Vietnam, you got, you know, the civil rights movement, you got all these things. Watergate. And you had, this was the most, yeah, presidents getting assassinated. Yeah. I mean, you had, it was the most tumultuous time, you know, I can think of, yeah, you know, in, in and, America, and that yeah. stuff's going to affect our our you know cultural our artistic output. I mean, there's a reason why we talk about when wars are going on, people tend to for some reason get into you know horror films more. It seems, or sometimes you know they tend to be pretty big around wartime. I don't know why that is. I mean, some some other genres are big too, but I think people just I think it's just a natural progression of the human condition that you know. When terrible things are happening, sometimes watching terrible things on film for entertainment can sometimes be cathartic. Yeah. And I know I, I was watching an interview with uh, on our next film, we'll talk about Creepshow. I was watching a little bit of that documentary on that disc. And uh, Romero was talking about how, you know, for him, comi- uh, for, uh, horror was always a, uh, a release. Uh, yeah. For some people, that would be comedy. For some people, that would be whatever. But for him, horror always made him smile. And that, you know, sure. that, that, that helps sometimes the psychosis of people and stuff. And that, and that, <clears throat> I don't always laugh at horror films, but certainly I'm not going to sit here and say, I mean, watching Creepshow, I did smile a lot because it's a reminder of that ickiness that you love as a kid. Oh, totally. And uh, I think that, you know, horror films provide a release that few other genres can provide. I think the probably because the two, the, it's a visceral experience. Yeah. you're you're. It's not detached. You're very involved in the 
it's an it's a very much a reaction. It's not just you're not just an observer uh, yeah. of something. It, it feels more visceral, more it cuts to the bone. Yeah, and I and I feel like even though this film is technically quote unquote a siege film or not really seen as a horror film, rewatching it this time, I really did. Maybe it's because I'm older, but the things that happen in this film and there's some horrific things that happen in this film. This film felt more like a horror film this time to me. It's still a siege film, very much a siege you're, film. You're, no, you're absolutely right. It's social horror. Yeah, it is social horror. Yeah, that's a great example of it. There. Yeah, no, very, very true, man. Very true. Um, I feel like we could. I, I won't, but I feel like we could just. We could probably ditch our notes in the film because the film's so good and says so much that we could just kind of freewheel off each other. But um, a testament to the film, certainly. Uh, Douglas Knapp was the DOP, and of course, um, Knapp precedes our man Cundy, and Knapp shot Dark Star, and then he shot this. There's some early attempts, and, and they're successful attempts, before the film becomes much more of an interior-based film, in shooting the dry L.A. land like a Western. Yeah. Um, some of the buildings, where they shoot them and stuff, kind of bleached out, and really looks like it's on the edge of the apocalypse, like we were talking about. I have to wonder if someone like Cundy, who shot things, um, you know, a little a little better. Not to discredit Nap, he shoots the film quite well, but but Nap um, uh, certainly serviceable. But uh, um, curious to see how Cundy would have shot this. But um, yeah, there's very much an intent to, to to certainly shoot the the landscape and pay attention to it, as westerns always did. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you a question that. As much as we always talk about how great a composer Carpenter is, it kind of dawned on me as I was looking at his name in the credits. How many other directors composed the music for their films? Can you, I, I, off the top of my head, there's probably some obvious ones, but off the top of my head, I couldn't think of any. Uh, you know, I can't. I, I'm, I'm uh, flashing my my movie uh, nut. A card here by saying that I don't can't think of any off the top. I, I couldn't of my head. think of any either, so don't feel bad. Yeah, but uh, you know what? I just I can't think of any. I'm sure there's somebody that's done it. I'm sure there is, but uh, and somebody's done it often. Maybe not all the time. I know with Carpenter, everything was. I mean, this one he edited as well. The name uh, and he wrote it too. I think. Did yeah, not? yeah, I believe he did. The uh, editor name is a uh, I think John Wayne's character name in Rio Bravo, and uh, of course it's him. So Carpenter was very much involved. I mean. Final Cut for Carpenter was a huge deal, and that's why, you know, for those who don't know, and most of our listeners probably do know this, but the one of the reasons why his films are called John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 or John Carpenter's Halloween, John Carpenter's yep. Ghost of Mars, yeah. it's because he he kind of, he's one of the few filmmakers who was able to get Final Cut uh, for many years, and uh, he was able to put his name before uh, before the actual title of the film, which is very much a rarity you don't really see that at all anymore i mean maybe somebody like well i mean i guess yeah maybe yeah maybe tarantino maybe there for a while i would say uh large von trier but i guess you know from what i understand he's not going to get final cut on uh, nymphomaniac so i guess he lost control there <laughs> but uh you know that i mean that's a, a something of its era too i mean that's something of the you know george romero's night of the living dead you know that's yeah. the 70s again but uh, yeah I, I can't think of anybody uh that Certainly nobody who was as prolific in it as John Carpenter when it came to scoring and uh, writing and directing his films. So, a true independent well, yeah. in some ways. But it just dawned on me, like, man, how, how I never thought about that. But 
I'm curious for people to chime in on the group and let us know because both of us were stumped. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, some of the stuff early on. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. And I think it was a bit late in the cycle, but I don't know. It was actually at the height of the cycle. It's a shame that there was never an Italian like Euro crime knockoff of this film. Can you imagine how amazing that would have been? <laughs> yes, I can imagine that. <laughs> oh man. That would have been so good. <laughs> Fuck. You're right. It would have been awesome. It, yeah. It would have been the best. Um, there's uh, a lot of... Uh, some of the early stuff, like the stuff where it shows the gang members getting executed, the six, it almost feels like Battle of Algiers to me. Yeah. The way it's shot kind of handheld documentary footage. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to wonder if that was an influence uh, on at least... Because then it shifts into more conventional... Um, you know, cinematography, but that stuff feels a little bit more busy and active. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like how Stoker's character, he seems to have a very, and I have to think it was directed, but um, very much like a, a certain kind of sheriff, like a cowboy kind of sheriff walk and the way he holds his police hat. Yeah. Yeah. feels very much like a cowboy hat. Yeah, it does. The way he holds it. And kind of, I mean, he doesn't wear the hat very often. If, does, no. he, does he wear the hat at all? I don't know if he does, actually. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking now, does he even put the hat on at any point? <laughs> That's a good point. So, That's yeah. A very good point. You know, he <laughs> he uh, definitely carries it around like a uh, like a, like an old school sheriff. Probably the only thing he yeah. doesn't do like an old school uh, western sheriff is he doesn't have any tobacco in his mouth at any point, like a, a cigarillo or a cigarette or anything like that. But uh, it wouldn't be out of place if he did. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it's something that works so well for me, and it's something that we don't see a lot. It, again, it, a lot of a lot of genre films nowadays are content to go from point A to point B, but sometimes it's the, the recurring things that endear you to a film and to the film's characters. And I love the, the running bit of Gotta Smoke with yeah. Darwin Johnston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's really great. Really, really great. You know another person I love in the film, uh, and uh, he he doesn't he doesn't live till the end credits. Spoiler alert! But I won't say how or when he goes. I love Chuck Cyphers in this man. Yeah, I like Chuck Cyphers in this too. I like it. Uh, he's also kind of a he plays a character named Starker, but yeah. uh, he also has. Uh, I like the scene between him and Justin a lot. Yeah, it's a good scene, and he's he's pretty likable in the film. I think he he you know a couple moments. So kind of being a bit of a shithead, but all in all, he's always a guy that had a lot of charisma. Yeah, you know, a lot of charisma, and, and uh, I wish he had done more stuff because uh, all the stuff I've ever seen him in, you know, through his work with uh, with Carpenter and and oh, you know, he, that's crazy, man. He was he was uh, he had three turns in three other films we've covered on the show early on. His first three credits, yeah, or three of his first four credits were in Cool Breeze. Yeah, the slams and Truck Turner. Yeah, well, he's also in the Fog, which we did. And yeah, uh, and he's in Halloween. He plays the the thing's dad, does he not? Um, yeah, yeah, he plays uh, Sheriff Taggart or something like that. Is yeah, that, yeah, is that it? Which Tag- is good in that? I think it's Taggart. I don't know if it's Taggart or not. I'll have to look. Uh, no, it's Sheriff Brackett. There we go. Brackett. Yeah, Taggart. that's right. He's in Death Wish too, so he's been on the show with us there. Oh yeah, that's right. He was the uh, the. Uh, hospital kind of like orderly that kind of let Bronson in when Bronson put his doctor's jacket on. 
That's right. That's right. <laughs> totally convinced. I always love when people go into hospitals and just throw a jacket on. They're immediately picked up as a doctor. I mean, that's how powerful the doctor's jacket is in cinema. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing convention. that They put the doctor's jacket on, and then they put a pair of like shitty $2 reading glasses. Yeah. And immediately people don't even question it, you know? No, no. They got free reign through the hospital. Yeah. It's amazing. But uh, no, Cyphers is real good. Everyone in the film is real good. And that's the thing I like about this is um, how everyone is very likable. Um, you kind of root for everyone. And it's a desperate situation, man. It's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's a desperate situation that you can be thrust into. But um, Tony Burton... No, he's good in it. Uh, uh, yeah, good old Tony Burton. For those who don't know who Tony Burton is, uh, that was Apollo's uh, cut man, wasn't it? Apollo's cut right, man in uh, Rocky, Rocky Two. Yeah, it's good to see him and stuff. Uh, I love uh, Tony Burton. He's always had a very natural charisma on screen. Again, a guy I wish had him bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He should have. He, he had a great look, man. He could have been in a lot of genre films. Yeah, he totally could have. He's been in some really? other stuff we've done. I know. He was in something we did because uh, we talked about him before. I'm looking through his filmography right now to try to find it, but I know he was in something we talked about. We haven't done the Rocky movies, obviously, but it seems like there was something else. But maybe I'm maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe maybe he hasn't. Maybe he has a very familiar face, though. Yeah. <clears throat> One of those faces that you think. We should also I should also mention that the the cop that behind the desk that cop played Scar and Searchers, Henry Brandon. Is that guy's name? But he has. Oh man, nice pull. Yeah, he is infamous for being this this one of the screen bad guys of all time with a scar and the searchers. Big time. That's a pretty iconic role, man. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, which I love. What do you prefer, search? This is a tough question. I don't know if I can answer it. Ah, maybe I can. Do you prefer searchers or Rio Bravo? That's a fucking tough, tough question. Oh man, and you know what? I had I'd have to see Rio Bravo again. I haven't seen Rio Bravo in a long time. I have to watch Rio Bravo again. I know which one uh, yeah, Rupert. I know which one Rupert would pick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I'd have to watch sure. those. I'd have to watch those two back to back again to kind of give you a, a honest answer. I, I, I'm going slightly to Searchers, but man, I love them both. Yeah, that's kind of hard. That's real tough, man. Um, yeah, nice pull. I didn't even realize that was him. Um, I love uh, not just um, the cast, but all the cast is legitimate. Like they're not. Carpenter's a good enough director that he doesn't feel like he has to give anyone a real Achilles heel to be sort of the the monkey wrench in the plan. Like the women in the film are great; they handle their business. Um, like uh, what's her name? Uh, Oh, um, I think it's uh, Kim. I wonder what her name was. Kim in the film. I think her name is Lee in the film. Lee, Laurie Zimmerman. I gotta tell you, I, I, you know, I'd seen Loomis many times. She's been on our show before. Um, I, I had a thing for the two, the, the two women in these like these seventy sweaters, man. Yeah, yeah, that was that was nice. Yeah. them in this film. Laurie Zimmer didn't do a whole lot. She uh, only did like three or four movies, I believe. But this is probably her most notable role. It's always kind of a shame because I think she had a natural sort of almost like a Bancroft type personality that she could have sold. I mean, really, it's very much old school Howard Hawks women role that she's yeah. playing in this. And uh, Loomis is more of a kind of a, a worry wart type character in this film and sure. kind of there for kind of moving the plot along and stuff. But uh, 
I did like uh, the Lee and and uh, Julie characters quite a bit, and I did like the sweaters quite a bit too. Yeah, love the sweaters, love them. I love how how resilient Lee is. She's never a shrieking kind of falling apart woman. Yeah, she, really even, she even takes a shot in the arm. Yeah, man, and just stands yeah. there and takes it. <laughs> She's fantastic in the film, man. Really fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I love that the what does it say cynicism in it. Oh, I just even sort of again to get back to the commentary, just the cynicism we see from about the police by the father, the ice cream girl's father. Yeah, just you know, different times certainly. Uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll tell you something. The um, the ice cream scene still works um, with uh, Frank. Totally, Double- totally still works. Yeah, with Frank Doubleday, who's uh, infamous for being in. Uh, he played the uh, kind of ghoulish character in uh, Escape from New York with the hair that all stuck up, looked like uh, like something out of a Japanese anime or something. Out of a comic book. Yeah, <laughs> you like something out of a comic book, man. Um, but uh, that scene still works. But I gotta say, this time around, watching it. The decision the father makes to leave his daughter's, just to leave his daughter, let's put it that way. Yes, yes. <laughs> is, okay, it makes sense in some way, but in a lot of ways for me, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it didn't, how do you feel about it? I mean, obviously I know it moves the plot along, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. But as a parent, well. as a parent, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, would, would you do that? I don't know. I, I mean, the rage is there. Yeah. I will defend it, and here's why. The, what happened, happened. Mm-hmm. Nothing was going to change. But. Should be said, I've never, yes. had, I've never had a vanilla twist. I don't know what that is. Vanilla twist? Ooh. <laughs> that, 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 was my, uh, that was my nickname on the corner, <laughs> man. The vanilla twist. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, mine was the chocolate twist. Trust me, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, doing those little squats, getting oh. low to the ground. Ooh, I have um, a needle, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> but I think that that character had an opportunity, okay. a moment in time, okay. to do something that would never, he would have never, ever been afforded again. Okay, okay. If, if, if he had to make a choice between. If if him staying would have changed something, mm-hmm, right? Like there was a chance to rush to do something to make that better. Yeah. Then clearly it's a stupid choice. Yeah. What's done is done. This was the only chance in his life he's going to have to to yeah deal with that. I can get behind that. I can get behind that. I don't know why that affected me. Well, I mean, obviously I know why this affected me more this time around, but I yeah. don't know why that thought ran through my head this time. You know, I, I well, guess. Well, it your mind too. Okay. Okay. Of good. course it does. It can't. It, it, we're parents. Yeah. It seems like such a callous, cold thing to do, but you have to think of the flip side, which is now that that's happened. Yeah. And there, there's no turning back. That like you can't turn back. It's it's, yeah. it's done. Yeah. This film's kind of infamous what you, for what happens. I'm sure we're not really giving away anything. We're not going to. I'm not going to say it, but no, no. Uh, most people probably know. But for those who don't know, that's why we're not saying it. So. Uh, what a brave decision at that time. Yeah, brave, and I know Carpenter himself has said even that uh, he doesn't think he would do that now. That, that that's a young, he's gotten older and softer. Yeah, he that's didn't that, have kids then. Yeah, that's a young that's a young person's decision. That's yeah. that's the difference between youth and maturity. Is this uh, the kind of 
you know, lack of emotion when it comes to something like that, which I can understand. I mean, because I've been there. We've all been there. We've all been parents and we've all not well we've not all been parents but we've all not been parents before when you know you're you're either one or the other right so when you're not a parent it's very easy to to be very cold it's very easy yes oh very much so Mm -hmm. um so yeah we got to see the ladies of precinct 13 calendar um and i love (laughs) stoker's exchange with uh (laughs) with i think it's with lee or maybe it's with julie when uh She's getting him coffee, <laughs> and she goes black, and he goes for over thirty years. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great line, yeah. Because <laughs> for those who don't know, he's an African American character, so yeah, <laughs> it was, it's a nice little moment. One small critique I'll say of the film is I feel like some of the early dialogue feels a bit mannered and very aware of itself. Yeah, it, it, a little bit before they sort of get into the siege proper, but everything after that flows perfectly, and it's it's a minor gripe, but. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's a little bit mannered. Yeah, I feel like there could have been even less dialogue in the beginning, <laughs> and it would have still got the point across. Agreed. Um, in fact, I love the ice cream scene because it's played silent for the first half. I, I think they could have done that whole scene silent, as it as as, and I, I almost feel like uh, he did half of it silent, almost like a nod to Leone or someone. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could have the whole scene silent with the scope and with the hand and the circling of the tr- the car around the ice cream truck and stuff. And it could have been played very effectively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Very effectively. Um, I thought the little girl was pretty good in it, actually. Small little part, but... Oh, yeah. Kim Richard, Jeff. Yeah, she she was... (laughs) She was a big part of my childhood. I know uh, Jay, our good friend Jay, is a fan, too, I believe. But she was a big part of my childhood. She was in uh, Escape from Witch Mountain, which was a big movie for me when I was a kid. Yeah. And she was in Black Snake Moan, I guess. Yeah, she's kind of still working and stuff. Uh, she was a teen. Yeah, when she was a teenager, I thought she was like one of the hottest things walking the face of the earth. It was one of those times, but she's a uh, one of those Real Housewives now, or something like of Beverly Hills or something. Oh man, yeah. Rick, I hate to cut you off, man. I'm sorry. Uh, this oh, that poor little girl's ruined for me now in the film. I hate her now, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, she she's on one of those shows my wife watches. Yeah, yeah, she's on. Uh, that's why my wife was watching the show, and I was like, "Is that Kim Richards?" And she goes, "Yeah, that's Kim Richards. What's the big deal?" And I'm like, "Kim Richards was a huge part of my life when I was growing up." <laughs> oh, I hate her. She, I think she's like a boozer on this show, and she's a fuck up a little bit. And- oh yeah, she's had some. Uh, she's had some bumps in her uh, life, to say the least. So uh, fucking shame. I wish I didn't look her up now, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, she's the she's. Oh. Anyway, I gotta move past this. Yeah, yeah. She's good in the film. I'll leave her. She is, and she's good in a lot of films from my my childhood. Yeah, I mean, she's she was very likable, very cute, very precocious. Um, she was on Different Strokes, another huge part of my childhood, and yeah. stuff like that. So she was she was huge then. I mean, uh, you know, it's it sucks what what ended up happening to her and where she ended up, but. Um, there are moments in her career that uh, I'll stand behind. Uh, the, yeah, the last one not being one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't remember yeah, her. I, I don't remember her in Black Snake Moan at all. We ought to review that at some point in time. I really yeah, like. I'd that love film. to. I would love to. Nice. Um, but uh, great setup for a film too. I mean, really great setup and oh yeah, super it, simple it just, and effective. Super simple, super effective. Um, you I gotta really say that movie. I gotta say though this gang is incredibly organized. 
they're very organized. I mean, man. we're they're talking, like well yeah, we're talking like military organized. I mean, they are. <laughs> they, but they, does that also again play into the um, uh, Battle of Algiers thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe right. Like I remember maybe reading too much into it. Maybe, but they got fucking roadblocks. They got silencers. <laughs> They, they, well they, they move in waves. They move in waves. <laughs> and see, the thing, that, just the final thing I'll say about the scene with the ice cream is what's brilliant about that, that is it shows you that all bets are off. Yeah. There's yeah, no yeah. mercy here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? That's a great dramatic device. The yep. rest of the film. Yep. But uh, what's frightening about these guys is how they come out of the shadows, how they come out in waves. To not show their faces is so much better than to show them. For them to be anonymous is so much better. Yeah. Which I, I think agree. is a statement uh, and commentary in and of itself. Yeah. No, I totally agree as with well that. As well as a dramatic device. Um, the violence in this is really good. It's it's effective. It's it's stylish without being overly stylized. And another film now that I, again, hadn't thought of until I looked at this through a critical eye is how much Return of the Living Dead is a siege film. That oh, it's yeah. indebted to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think so, we mean you've kind of talked when we first started doing the show. I think me and you would talk on the phone and we would talk to each other and would say that man, the siege film is like such a huge part of our lives. And oh yeah, <laughs> because we did the nest so early and mm-hmm. and uh, that was one of the first films we started talking about with each other and uh, even before we'd covered it. And I think or did we ever? Co- yeah, we covered it, didn't we? The nest, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought we did. Yeah, uh, but I remember we we kind of pushed that on people a lot too. <laughs> I know we've kind of pushed that just about on everybody. Great film. Everyone should go and buy it. Yeah, agreed. And uh, the uh, the Siege film is like such a huge part of our our childhood, our our love of genre cinema is is the Siege movie, quote unquote. And uh, I think it's really an interesting dynamic that uh, something we share is this uh, love of all. You know, in some ways, even the Wild Bunch and some of these other films, in some ways, they're Siege films. And and uh, sure. It's 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 interesting this kind of uh, brotherly dynamic you get from that and how it kind of brings film fans together. It heightens the bromance. Right? It does, yeah, it really does, yeah, yeah. That and the uh, the uh, spandex zubaz, those two that things. That does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of fashion, Darwin gets to rock the double denims in this. Ah, yes, yes, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, and yeah, I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but I just like that the characters are normal. They look normal. No one's overly handsome or overly beautiful. There's no archetypes. Um, I mean, characters are, are colored with shades of of certain um, things, but they're never uh, played. You know, this is the jock. This is the nerd, um, which is refreshing. Yeah, I think the most archetypical character in the film might be the ice cream man. I mean, that's about as... And I don't even know what archetype he would be, except for the I don't know the scared dude in a in a bad neighborhood, <laughs> scared white dude in a bad neighborhood. Yeah, that's about the only archetype in the whole film. And I noticed that this time around too. I mean, Carpenter really went out of his way to make sure that you no, know, you know, he didn't use any archetypes in a very you know in a genre that can that uses them well. The western, essentially, which is what this is, kind of a horror western yeah. siege film. He could have used archetypes big time, and it would have worked just great. But he decides to go the other way with it. He had to humanize his characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets so desperate because we start to realize that they have to keep count of how many bullets they have. They get down to eight shots between them. Yeah. And it really starts to up the ante. Because 
how else do you up the ante when you have this ongoing siege in your film? Yeah. Take away their ammunition. Yep. Um, another film, another film, Siege, with a pretty insane siege that we both love. And I can't remember if we did it on the show. You can tell me if we did. I know we did a Danish version of the film on the show. Uh, this reminds me a lot of Straw Dogs, too. Yeah, yeah. In that, someone stumbles in somewhere, and they, you know, for better or worse, decide to take a stand and keep that person safe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, yeah, and uh, one of my last no, well, my last note is I just I love that walk down that narrow hall, like the big finale, like that that barricade they built. It's so intense. It's so in your face. It's so visceral. Like they're beating dudes' hands off with like blunt instruments and. It's just insane, man. It's so p- kind of pulse pounding, and it's so simple. Yeah, but it works so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it it does work well, and there's a great story behind that too. I'll say that toward the end here. Um, the uh, yeah, I'll just kind of go over a few more things. Uh, you know, this is a personal favorite from my early genre days. I mean, this was a film that I really looked for hardcore. So when I first got a laser disc player, I, I was really excited when it came out. I think Image put the laser disc out. I was really pumped because I'd seen it on VHS, but it was one of those movies that was at a video store I went to, and then it, I, mean, I guess the tape must have gotten tore up or something because it was never there again. Like, after I rented it once, I would go back and try to rent it again. It was never there again. Maybe somebody kept it or something. I don't know. So it was like, you know, 15 or 20 years between my first viewing and the second time I saw it, and I've seen it a few times since. So, um, yeah, a few more things. Uh, yeah, the creepy moments. The sniper rifle from the car is very creepy and bothersome. Uh, that always bothers me, that kind of randomness, you know? Yeah, and, and the unwitting, like, people are just completely oblivious. Yeah, yeah. Cause that and that's be, what makes it more terrifying. Yeah, yeah, totally. I uh, completely agree. Um, the action in the film is very good, I guess I should say. I wouldn't say it's great. Um, no, it is good, though. It, it is good, but I, I tell you what is great is the stage direction of the action. Like yes, you never, yes. we always talk about this. That the key to making action work, that half the battle is the geography of the of the place. I never got lost in the precinct. Like Carpenter sets it nope. up with the hallways, and the jail cell area, and the main area, and uh, there's one office he sets up where some people come in through some windows. Um, he sets everything up very well. So you remember where the front of the building is. You remember what it looks like. You remember what the around around the back looks like because that's where the bus came in. He sets all that stuff up really well. So in your head, you're putting all that stuff together. And if there's anything that can be said about it, I mean, that's that's some pretty great filmmaking right there because you never lose sense of where you're at. Now, the remake of this, I watched. And I got to say that my one of my biggest problems with the remake is I lost track of where I was all the fucking time. Big time. Big and time. I didn't hate the remake, I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't love it. it either. Yeah, I, it was very average. Very it, average. It should have been. It should have been good, though. It's a very simple story, you know. It's a simple story, and it had two great leads in Hawk and uh, Larry Fishburne. Yeah, it should have been. It should have been easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, lemon squeezy. Yeah, not not lemon lemon. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Lemon lemon. I think it was more chocolate. Oh. It was more chocolate twist oh. than anything. <laughs> What's that? Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Difficult difficult lemon difficult. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, but yeah, I really like the the, the geography of the scene. Um, I gotta say, I love the potato moment. Uh, yeah, between Justin and uh, <laughs> the Wells character, the <laughs> I love that. It's like this little moment of uh, there's only it's it's like the one moment where things lighten up a little bit. Yes, and it's it's really great. Um, 
and the finale is simple and effective. It's it's very simple. Although I got to say, the holding that table up or whatever they're holding up to fight all those guys back it seems like you know they got to be two of the strongest guys I can think of. Uh, I know they had a arm strength, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, they got a. Uh, but 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 the relationship between Jocelyn and Stoker at that point steps up another notch. Yeah. And you know you get this very western element of the walk and and I really love the other piece of dialogue that Justin has where he'll tell you sometime where he got the name Napoleon but you never really get a payoff with that which is really great. Were, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, cuz you still kind of wonder even at the end and stuff. And it should be said and this is the last note I'll say cuz you kind of said that about the kind of walking together. The Justin and Stoker ended up being uh sort of best friends after making oh, this film. Oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah, and they kind of, you know, st- unfortunately, uh, Justin died at 60. He died young. I don't know what he died of, but he died in 98. Um, but he, uh, him and Stoker, Stoker's still around, I believe. I think I think he's still around. Um, yeah, they were, they became friends and stayed friends uh, pretty much after this for the rest of yeah, uh, Justin's still, life. Yeah, still alive. Yeah. So they became really good friends and stuff. And he's worked with uh, he worked with uh, Lynch a few times too. I think Lynch was a fan of Justin, and uh, but unfortunately he just never really got like huge. Um, he was great though. They're both great in the film. Yeah, there's a picture of him on his IMDb with like a like Three Musketeers mustache and a little bit of a soul patch. I got to find with out what Justin. movie or show that's in because he looks amazing. <laughs> oh man, he does. <laughs> you see it? <laughs> Look, yeah, check out his amazing. shirt. Check out the shirt he's got on. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that he looks is. a little loafy. He does look a little loafy. That shirt and that stash. Wow. Very, very sloafy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, and ironically, he's born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Yeah, I know. That's what I, <laughs> how about that? Ooh. Uh, not ooh, I guess, but his last his last uh, credit was on ALF as a dog pound attendant. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it seems like, I think his last film was a film called Time Walker. In eighty two, and it seems like after that everything was uh, everything was uh, TV. He didn't really get a whole lot of work after that. Wait, well, it says he's in Wild at Heart in ninety, but I wonder. Yeah, I think he was. Was he dead by ninety? When did he already die? Um, I think you know that was when he worked in the transportation. It says transportation oh, department. Okay, yeah. So he Just ended up. Yeah, he ended up working behind the scenes. There you go. But I, but I do know that uh, I've seen uh, interviews with Lynch before where he's talked about him, and I know Lynch is a fan of the uh, the performance in this film. So, go and David Lynch is unpredictable. So, <laughs> you never yes. know what he likes and what he doesn't like. So, yeah, it's real sad that he, he he died so young, man. Yeah, and to our young young listeners, sixty may sound old, but it's not. It's not. It's twenty years from where I am now. So, yeah, man, he worked in the transportation department a lot. Yeah, he did. On some big films, it should be said. The Buddy Holly story, La Bamba. Yeah, baby. La Bamba? Yeah. Wild at Heart, The American President, which is a Rob Reiner film. Yeah. He, his main, looks like he was called the transportation captain in a lot of these. That, that's kind of, it's actually kind of, I mean, I guess it's great that he continued to work in the business, but it's kind of a shame that he went from an actor to working in transportation. So, Yeah. Not to diminish that, but yeah, to think that he was in front of and, you know, he could have continued to rise. I mean, I don't think he ever would have been, you know, a Will Smith or a Ben Affleck, but he could, you know, between working with guys like the Collins and Lynch and these kind of guys, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it kept him going. It's interesting. It really is. Um, he was on our show before, though. He was in The Fog. He played the, the doctor. Five's on The Fog, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very small role. <laughs> 
All right, so that's our thoughts on, uh, well, not our thoughts. We haven't done our ratings and stuff. Let's hear it. MVT, what do you got, buddy? Because that, that, the one I had the hardest time with was my MVT on this one. Well, for me, uh, yeah, I had a hard time with make or break end with MVT. Um, my make or break, I'm going to say, I don't have a make or break, so I'm just going to rush and say the ice cream scene. Well, um, I think that is the a... Act. Yeah, I think that is a make or break though. My, my, I should also be said my make or break sequence is the ice cream sequence, and the ice cream sequence because it's done silent for the first half, and I love that shot. It might be the best shot in the film when the camera's in tight, just behind the back window, not in on the exterior of the car, just behind the back window, when we see that gun come out with the silencer on it as the car is driving. Yeah, it's pretty great. That's a really great scene, and then you get all the the, the POV shots with the sniper with scope and. I think that whole sequence is pretty masterful, actually. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. Very good. MVT, I wanted to go with Carpenter because I feel like, you know, he's orchestrating everything and he does a really great job. Um, you know what I'm actually going to say? I was going to say the cast, and I love the cast in this film. Oh, do I want to? Because I'm, I'm using the Sammy logic, which is. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping you're going to go with the same. You know, Sammy's going to use the Sammy logic on this one. <laughs> because I'm never going to get to pick Justin and Stoker and. <laughs> and Zimmer and and uh, even Loomis ever again. I, I am going to stay at the cast. I wanted to say the siege itself mm-hmm. was the MVT. Yeah, but I want to go at this cast because I think they do a good job of uh, having us root for them uh, in the film. That because if you don't like the characters, you just want them to be done with it and get killed. So I am going to say the cast because I think they they have enough moments that endear us to them. Um, Score for the film, I'm going to say an 8. Uh, I'll say an 8.25. Nice, nice. I like it. Okay, uh, my make or break, like I said, same as yours. Uh, ice cream sequence, really uh, quite wonderful. All of that stuff, that build up, the kind of prowling, all that kind of stuff I really like. Uh, Miami, I also love that shot where you see the... Uh, the uh, the girl and her dad driving by, and it pans over, and you see the gang member, and they all start walking together. Oh, yeah. That's classic Carpenter stuff there. Totally. My MVT, I could say the whole cast. I mean, I could agree with you on that completely. I'm going to say uh, Stoker and Justin. Say Stoker. Yeah, I knew. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, because I'm not ever going. You're probably right. Maybe Stoker might have another chance. Obviously, Justin will probably never have another chance because we'll never. Uh, I don't see him being the MVT of Eraserhead if we ever cover that, or you know, because <laughs> that certainly has. Unless the- <laughs> he shines as Burgers in the episode of Night Rider from 1985 that we review. <laughs> yeah, if we ever get to that point where we're reviewing every episode of Night Rider, which is a very GGTMC show, it should be said. I believe there's a lot of members only yeah. jackets. I believe actually that the lead wears a members only jacket that's leather most of the most of that show. Yeah, I think oh, that was the big wheel I had, man. <laughs> yeah, and Night Rider was huge, huge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it to those two guys. Um, I do love the entire cast. I, it should be said, even. Well, you the, said the Justin Stoker dynamic. Yeah, right? yeah, I love the two. dynamic between nice. the two, and it's really very old school western bromance. Really great. Yeah, it's really it good. Stuff. Great, man. Uh, my score, and the decision, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The decision. At the, yeah, yeah. There's a great decision, you know, which is always something we talk about. And uh, my score is just a little bit higher than yours, 8.5 out of 10. Uh, it was great to revisit this film, and uh, it really holds up well. Man, it really holds up well. It really does. So, yeah, I, I implore everybody to go out and purchase this, DVD or Blu-ray. I don't know if the Blu-ray ups the ante as far as the transfer goes, 
because I remember it looks the, good, but it's not like um, yeah. What's the uh, like? What's the term? Resource? No, no, no. Uh, catalog? Like it's not like um. What's the term? <laughs> when something anyway, it's not like upper echelon blue. It's good. It's good. Yes, certainly. And if you want the extra features of uh, an extra commentary track and stuff, that's great. But you could also get the DVD, I think, because I, I I've watched the DVD and it's got a great transfer as well. So I don't think you're missing out if you get the DVD. But uh, you know, when you're addicted to Blu-rays, so <laughs> had to have it on blue, baby. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so we're going to take a short break, come back, and talk about Creepshow from 1982. We'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's, from The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it just listen to what the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema has to say about our show oh, it's a husband and wife show and they discuss movies and stuff yeah a very wife husband show high praise indeed so come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com it will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour all right, everybody, welcome back. Yeah, Creep Show, nineteen eighty-two is our next film. Um, I I, I got to be honest, I really didn't have. I was actually going to save Creep Show for maybe a double deuce one day. Uh, Creep Show one and two. Uh, I'm not a huge as huge a fan. I know you're not either as of two as I am of one, but uh, I do enjoy certain aspects of two. And yeah. uh, I was going to save it for that, but then. I caught wind of this blue release in uh, the UK, I believe, or in Region B, it should be said. And I couldn't pass it up. Um, it's got a couple commentaries on it. It's got an hour and a half making of documentary. I mean, this thing is loaded. And it's a great making of documentary. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's loaded. I mean, it's well worth your purchase. So mm-hmm. definitely uh, pick that up. But uh, yeah, so. Creepshow 82, inspired by the EC comics of the 50s, George A. Romero and Stephen King bring five tales of terror to the screen. So, yeah, it should be said, this is uh, Stephen King's, uh, one of his first screenplays, I believe. Um, yeah. And there's kind of a great story as to how uh, Romero and King kind of came to be. They were kind of this thing for a while. I know uh, Stephen King's a big movie fan. He's a big George Romero fan. So, um, they kind of started this relationship and... Uh, it kind of developed over time. They didn't work. They didn't end up doing as many films as they kind of hoped they would do. I know at one point in time they were thinking about doing The Stand, which would have been interesting. Oh, yeah, big time. And uh, I know that they originally met because I think they wanted Romero to do Salem's Lot. And that ended up going to Hooper and ended up being like a uh, two-part TV series, I believe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they ended up doing this. And, uh Yeah. Yeah, I can lead on this if you want me to. It doesn't matter. Sure, yeah, by all means, man. All right, all right. So it should be said that uh, Creepshow was a huge part of, again, my childhood. I was oh, nine yeah. years old when this came out, uh, probably 11 or 12 when I actually saw it, though. I saw it a lot on cable. Uh, like I said, I was an early, my parents were early adopters of cable television, so we had all those movie channels in the beginning, and it was like an, it was like a, uh, it was a revolution, <laughs> really, in my life to see all of these movies. 
unedited, of course, because at that point, I, all the movies I had seen, you got to remember, this is really before VCRs and stuff. Most of the movies yeah. I watched was TV, uh, late night uh, shows with horror host or just television movies in general. I mean, the first time I saw The Exorcist, I saw it on TV. The first time I saw yeah. The Shining, I saw it on television. So television was the way I saw movies because cable was not around. It was broadcast television. So, But it, that was both good and bad. The bad was I saw edited versions of, t- of movies that I love now. The good was I saw a lot of classics because classics were on all the time. So as a young kid, I watched a lot of classic westerns and, and classic films. So there's good and bad with that, right? So. I wish I would have saw more unedited films. But anyway, I ended up getting cable in the early 80s. Where well, I didn't end up. My parents ended up getting cable. And this was a film that was on a lot. And, of course, I, you know, uh, being a kid and a horror kid, quote-unquote, I really fell in love with this uh, at the time. And it really kind of spoke to me. Of course, I was a comic book reader, and I did read some of those uh, reprints of the EC comics and stuff. And I always kind of liked the kind of ghoulishness of the EC comics, the kind of fable-ish type of tales of comeuppance and, and uh, sweet irony that they had, they that they told. Um, you're either a fan of that or you're not. Uh, I know some people don't really care for that kind of ironical, is that a word? A tale. The I don't kind of, think it is, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> ironical. Um, where's my I've, used, I've <laughs> used much worse made-up words. Yes, yes I have too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it. Um, but I, I really like this, and... Um, at the time, I didn't really kind of know why I liked the film as much as I did, but revisiting it this time, and it, it must be said, it's been at least for me, whew, I, I, it may have been as much as 15 years since I've watched this. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah. I watched it a lot growing up. So well, it's, me too. It's not something I revisit very often because I've seen it so much, it's like ingrained in my brain. And even watching it again this time, the only thing that surprised me this time watching it I didn't remember how long this film was. I didn't remember it was two hours long. Yeah, I know. But you figure you get five stories, 20 minutes each. There's your turn. There's your runtime, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, when I saw the runtime, I was like, wow, this film's actually two hours? I don't remember this being two hours long. But uh, that and one other thing kind of surprised me this time watching it. So I'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, okay, so this is an anthology, so we kind of got to go by story by story basis here. We got a, uh, we got a surrounding kind of a framework story. Um, that involves Tom Atkins playing one of the cruelest fathers I think I can remember on screen ever. <laughs> oh, I got to tell you, man, this again, one of the probably top two or three most influential films for me as a child. I saw when I was about five years old. I had the actual comic book that they printed at the time. It was oversized. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Uh, I didn't know you had that. I've always, I always wanted that. I never had it. I had it. It was a prized possession. We used to have a uh, trailer like a, to go camping every year. And uh, I remember I got it one year when we went to the flea market. Man, I fucking had that thing everywhere with me. It was was one of the crown jewels in my comic collection at the time, at least. Because at that point, you're into favorites, not what's what's near mint and all this other bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I would pour over it and, and, you know, a lot of the same frames. But I fucking hated (laughs) Tom Atkins. And, yeah, I just hated Atkins so much because, like you said, just the cruelest motherfucker Ever. Yeah. And we should say that the boy in the film is, is going to become a, a writer in his own right. Uh, respectable, you know, respectable writer, Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son, Joe, Joe King. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And I like I, kudos to him for using the name Hill, not getting my daddy's name. But um, he's a good writer. He's, he's, a, he's a good writer. It should be said. I don't know if you read anything by him, but he's good. I haven't. I haven't. But I've heard he's good. Yeah, he's good. So nice to see. But what a motherfucker! <laughs> I know it's. And, it, I, oh. <laughs> and you know, Tom Atkins is one of the most likable actors of all time. I would say. I. But here's the thing. I have to think that it's no mustache coincidence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might be right. Yeah, but yeah, he's a real he's a real cunt. I mean, just a real <sighs> cunt. And uh, and the wife's a cunt too because she just kind of lets him. You know, she doesn't really. Def- you don't have to hit him, is what she <laughs> says. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, fucking punch dad in the mouth or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, do something. Do something, Jesus! He just backhanded that kid and left a mark on his face. So, yeah, I mean, so we get a wraparound story that's pretty interesting, basically about the comic kind of setting up things, and it's it's pretty simple. But then we divulge into our first uh, little short, which is Father's Day the uh, with the infamous uh, dancing god of Ed Harris. Yes. <laughs> Some tight wranglers. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go, to our web, uh, go to our Facebook group to see the, uh, the infamous clip if you haven't ever seen this. Uh, but if you've seen this, you know what we're talking about, so it's nothing there. It is amazing. Yeah. And it's been often talked about, but it should be talked about yeah. because it rivals. <laughs> we talked about after It rivals Pacino and Cruz and yeah. it rivals Travolta and <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. Oh, man, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Some serious dancing going on. Ed really cutting a rug, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about it. This cast for this film is outstanding. It's amazing. It really is. I mean, it's... One of those ones where, you know, Carpenter, I mean, I mean, what I know in the Carpenter, what I know of Romero, um, I know from other interviews I've seen with him that he likes to use um, unknowns as much as possible. The reason being is his argument has always been that if you are making good horror films or if you feel like you're making a good horror film, that the horror itself is the star, not the actor's. And uh, that's an interesting argument because I, I kind of agree with that, and I kind of don't. I kind of I kind of like seeing, uh, you know, big actors in, in in situations and stuff. But then again, when I think about Romero's work, I think about you know uh, Ken Fury, who was uh, not a well known actor in, in Dawn of the Dead, but very memorable after that. And of course, uh, what was his name? I can't remember the lead uh, African American actor in Night of the Living Dead, Dwayne Dwayne Cooper or Dwayne Jones? Dwayne John? No, was it Dwayne Johnson? Was it The Rock? No, it was either Dwayne Cooper or Dwayne Jones. Uh, Dwayne Jones, one of those two. But anyway, he became quite notable for that. And but anyway, she he always likes to use unknowns because it works pretty well. And I and I have to agree with that to some level because in Romero's work, it it does work well, uh, especially the dead films and stuff. The first three, especially. But um, this one, he really rounded up a a as they say on the on the streets, a hell of a cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got uh, you know. Ed Harris, you got Hal Holbrook, you got Adrian Barbeau, Fritz Weaver, Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson. I mean, Danson was E.G. Marshall. Yeah, E.G. Marshall. Danson wasn't huge yet, but he would become, shortly after this, he would become a staple, to say the least, yeah. in television. Um, yeah, this was uh, for him right before, or just that year, I think, that he got onto Cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was four or five years before Nielsen, he'd already done an airplane, but four or five years before he became forever immortalized as Frank Drebin in Naked Gun. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a, it's a hell of a cast. And of course, you know, we should also say that Savini worked on the special effects in this. And one of the reasons I know from interviews that I have read with Savini, one of the reasons why he really wanted to do this one was he wanted to get away from 
he was always known as the gore guy, the splatter guy. And he wanted to do, he always wanted to do monsters. And this was one of his first chances and opportunities to actually do a monsters. And, uh, how do you think he fared? I think he did. Okay. I don't think he did. I mean, it's obvious. It's not, it wasn't his strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though I still love the crate monster a lot. Uh, it looks really silly now, but it still really works for me. Um, I agree. Uh, it's very, I mean, it is very silly uh, when you see it. It's this little, I, I don't know, kind of like a rabid baboon or something. Um, yeah, almost like Shockma or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it reminded me of more so this time around. Like this little fat. And I never really noticed before that it was like a little little creature. I've always thought it was like this kind of big ape creature. <laughs> because it's yeah, so disproportioned. It's, it's so it's so huge at the top. And, and yet, if you look closely, you can see its little feet on the table sometimes. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I think he fared okay. Um, obviously, I mean, like even we'll go back to the Father's Day story. The, the 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 zombie makeup is very old school rubber zombie makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. It's very much a mask. Should be said. I think uh, John Amplis is coming out of the grave there. Uh, John Amplis, who uh, worked with uh, Romero and Zavini a lot, good friends with them, and of course starred in Martin, um, Romero's favorite film of his own that he's made. Starting in Martin. Starting in Martin. And uh, I, I think that makeup could use could have used a more touch-up. It was very dry. Maybe it's supposed to be, but I, at that point, you know, it, just, it, it seems like it would be a little wet, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm being silly there, but I don't know, a little rubbery no, for I, my, my taste for well, the zombie. Well, that's actually why I asked you. I, I, I think the makeup is good. <laughs> it's not as good as his gore stuff. Um, love the the... Father's Day stuff because I think it, um, it it works well, sort of evoking a certain time frame. But yeah, it it's not Savini's finest hour. Yeah, it may sound nitpicky to some for us to say, but I mean, when it comes to gore stuff, I mean, he's you know hard to beat. Yeah, he's one of the best, and uh, he has a couple moments in this, but he's not. Uh, it's not really. It doesn't really shine as a Savini uh, kind of a a hot like a sizzle reel. For like a like a Savini, you know, effects. It's not like his shining moment. It's not it's not as good as the burning, which we talked about a while back. Some of those moments, or you know, obviously the dead films, which we've never done on the show. But I mean, obviously those are staples of of gore and effects. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they, there's a little bit of a like an Italian zombie vibe going though. I gotta say, in uh, Father's yeah. Day, you definitely get a little Almost bit like of burial ground. Yeah, yeah, you get a little. Yeah, you definitely get a burial ground feel. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you, I like the vocal effects that are used in this, the kind of gurgly, you know, kind of weird, like underwater-sounding zombie effect. I like that. I love that. I always have, but they go to that well, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, they do. A few too, They use it in, it seems like, three or four of the stories, that sound design for the creatures. Yeah, yeah it sounds like they almost, uh, like they found, like they discovered it while they were making it, and they were like, oh, this is awesome, let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it, but it is a, a a good little story. It's a simple little story. I, I like it. Uh, although I think that most of the characters in that first story are are cunts. <laughs> They're all rich cunts. Yeah, they are. They and, totally are. And you feel like Ed Harris is like hanging around because he wants to be a rich cunt, right? He wants to be a rich cunt, and to be crass, he wants to get some rich cunts. Yeah, and I, I did have a I do. And this time watching it, I did have a problem with Ed Harris when he fell in the grave. It's like, dude, get the fuck out of the grave. Oh man, I'll tell you, this film has several moments of people being so 
absurdly paralyzed with fear. <laughs> but Ed Harris is, is the most unforgivable. Yeah. He lies there. I'm not lying for about a minute. I know. Watches this stone slowly falling towards his head. Yeah. They could have saved that moment by having him in there for maybe five seconds. Yeah. Look up, see it's moving, reaction shot, and then it falls on him. Yeah. Nimble on his feet on the dance floor, not in the cemetery. That's not the, so much in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd think those those cowboy boots would have moved better. Those yeah. Wranglers or GWGs would have moved better in the dirt, but they yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's bizarre a choice by him. Did you find his wife? Sorry, did you find his wife hot? I did in an 80s sort of I dynasty did. type. I did, and I can't remember that actress's name. Uh, right I'm looking I'm for her. Some, Eliz- let's do some Sammy research on her. Elizabeth Reagan, maybe? It seems like I've seen her in something else, though. She would have fit in with the girls of Precinct 13 calendar quite nicely. She would have. She would have. Yeah, she had a very nice look, a very nice 80s kind of uh, heavy makeup. The blouse. Yeah, the blouse. The cut, no bra. Those, yeah. those dress pants and stuff. She looked nice, man. She really did. She really did. I, I did think she was hot, so you weren't alone on that. So there you go. I can't remember. I don't know which one she was. But anyway, it seems like she was in more films, but maybe she was this one actress, uh, Elizabeth Reagan. She does always feel very familiar to me, but I think you and I fall into that trap probably of this film is so familiar to us that we yeah. think we've seen these people in more things. Like even um, her brother, John, who John Lorimer plays Nathan Grantham, he's good in the film as this count. But I always feel like, have I seen him in something else? But I don't know that I've seen him in anything else. Yeah, I'm going to look Oh, no, that's not John. No, John Grantham was the dad. Um, you know, the guy that plays her brother anyway. Yeah, well, actually, that guy that played the brother, he's in 161 films. <laughs> So maybe I have seen him in something else then. Yeah, I, I bet you have. <laughs> Actually, he was in the Boogans. Was he? Oh, amazing! <laughs> amazing. He was in the Boogans. Uh, I don't. I didn't notice that. Uh, well, no. You know what? That was John Lormer is the dad. You're right. That's. I'm looking at the wrong guy. We want to look at. Right. We want to look at the brother. Grantham Warner Shook. It's Warner Shook. Warner That's Shook. His name. Warner Shook. He's all shook up. Warner Shook. What has Warner Shook Ooh, been he in? Did do- he played Pippin in Night Riders. Well, there we go. We'll be talking about him again someday. And he was yeah. in uh, Dawn of the Dead. So it looks like he was basically a friend of uh, a friend or an acquaintance of Romero's. Yes. So there you go. Warner Shook. What a name. That's a great name. Warner Shook. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> not, anyway. not quite as good as the, um, the maid's name of Nan Mog. <laughs> Nan Mog. And Og or Bingo O'Malley, who played Jordy's dad, character actor. Bingo, Bingo O'Malley. That's an amazing. I'm mad that my parents didn't name me Bingo. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man. If those of you who know my last name, Bingo, it really wouldn't work well. It's just a fucked up name. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. Man. I'd have to be an actor or a porn actor. I don't know what else it could be. I, I swear to God, I was thinking you better have gone into porn. <laughs> Yeah. It would have been like Joe and Sam Rykoff, man. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, bingo. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the Father's Day story is pretty good. Uh, it didn't really hold up as well for me the second well, not the second time around, but this time around watching it, I still like the uh, where's my cake moments. and Still like yeah. the dancing. Yeah, still like the dancing and things like that. But yeah, it, some of it didn't hold up as well. And then we move into, uh, I believe, the, is the next story the uh, – the uh, lonesome the death lonesome of Jordy. Death of Jordy Verrill. Now, now Jordy Verrill. Th- this story is as time has gone on. Some people have turned on this one, but I think people are starting to turn back. I, I love this one. Yeah, and I think the reason why people turned on it originally is because 
Stephen King, who never really acted before, really goes for it in this kind of buffoonish redneck, a northeastern redneck, it should be said, uh, very much a Maine-type redneck. Yeah. <laughs> um, he kind of really goes for it, and uh, it can be seen as almost spoof acting in some way, but I think it works. I think it works well. Well, especially considering it's supposed to be a 50s EC comic, mm-hmm. and he's playing a certain type of character. I think that the character <laughs> and in his performance, the way it's written, elicits a great deal of sympathy. I agree. I agree. He's a simpleton. Um, I like that he plays it that way. Uh, he has one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is, Meteor shit! Uh, yeah, I love meteor shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he talks in the film. Uh and uh, I do find the the grass growing on the skin. I find it gross. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's, it's bothersome uh, to and me. <laughs> and it looks. Talk about production design. There's some great practical stuff in this film. Yeah. Outside of just sort of the monster makeup, i.e., the cockroach wrangling, we'll talk about later, which is a great that documentary. I think that documentary can be seen on YouTube because that's where I saw it. Oh, nice, nice. Um, yeah, because I think it was on the origi- one of the other releases before, so it's not new to this release. It should be said, but it's, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know if it is or isn't, but it's a good documentary. I don't it's think the, I don't think the, the American release of the DVD has ever had any special features on it. I think no, they offered this to them for free, and they said no. It's like Are you stupid. Yeah, yeah. So because I think the American DVD is bare bones. Yeah, which is a crime. Yeah, I think it's shit too. If I remember, I. I I don't know for meteor sure. Shit. <laughs> I think it's meteor <laughs> shit. I'm not positive. Oh, you went and done it now, samurai, you lunkhead. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, that's the the redneck is in my family genes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Jesus. Very sound bite, man. I hope nobody steals that and cribs that for something. <clears throat> anyway. That's amazing, man. <laughs> But I love that. I was saying that to myself when I dropped that pie on the ground this morning, man. Fucking kitchen floor, man. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. Uh, Grass looks good. They really outfitted that house nice. And there's a heightened sense of um, the aesthetic in the film. It's all heightened. The colors are really blown out. These lose a lot of gels, and they really saturate the scenes with a lot of color because it is comic book based. And I I think it's to the film's benefit, and especially for Blu-ray. This is always a blue that. I wanted to get, but the grass looks real great in this film and in this yeah. uh, in this uh, sequence. Yeah, there's a couple. the The Blu-ray looks good. It should be said, good to great. Uh, there are moments where it looks great. Not, yeah, definitely good. Yeah. Yeah, there's moments where it looks great. The grass is a good example. Um, I thought the uh, what should we call it? I thought the crate sequence worked really well in blue, nice and shadowy. Um, yeah. But it is a little washed out in spots too, and I don't know if it's the era. Obviously, the film. Uh, is an early 80s film, so a lot of the films look like this in the early 80s. Kind of, uh, you know, the Vaseline lens type look a little bit in spots. Um, yeah. It should be said, though, Hal Holbrook looked great on blue, didn't he? He, he, uh, he did look great on blue. <laughs> this is, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just so used to seeing him now, and he's, you know, he's such an old man now. And yeah, it's awesome that he's lived this long and, and great life and stuff. But, man, he's, I mean, he's really up there now. He's got to be in his 90s plus. Yeah, he's got to be, you know, pushing, pushing at least, like, at least mid-80s, late-80s. Yeah, he's got to be. Man, my internet is creep-showing all over the place. Talk about going slow. So, <laughs> Hal Holbrook was born in 1925. So, man, he is really getting up there. He's 90 then, right? 89, 88? Yeah, 88. 80, yeah, yeah, 88, going on 89 years old. He'll be 89 in February. 
So, you know, that that's a great long life and he's, you know, he's still working. He's still working. He's doing a movie right now called The Secrets We Share, so which uh I think is one that's kind of buzzed about from yeah. what I remember. Yeah, he's he's had a few uh good moments lately in his uh late in his the twilight of his career. He's had a few uh, good roles, I think. Sean Penn and yeah, yeah. Oh, he's really good in that film, that Sean Penn film. Uh, what was it called again? Uh, I didn't remember. That's why I just said uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that Sean Penn. That was that was smart of you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, into, yeah. The, into, into the wild, into the wild. Yes, huh? there it is. You lunkhead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, but yeah, the um, the so yeah, we, uh, this is uh, interesting to review this film anyway because we're doing we're doing an anthology film, so you could probably do a little mini reviews of each one. But I do have to say that the, the Jordy Vera one does hold up really well. I think for me, the Jordy Vera one and the Crate one held up the most. Uh, the Crate one is my favorite. It should be said uh, for me. It's hard. I was going to ask you if you have a favorite. It's hard for me to choose mm-hmm. favorite. God. Um, when I was a kid, I probably would have said Father's Day because it's pretty kind of zombie and macabre yeah, yeah. with the right. cake. And, right. But as I've gotten older now, really like Lunkhead. Um, <laughs> I, the Crate was always, you know, sort of running neck and neck with Father's Day. I also, you know which one I think aged the best for me? Was uh, I, I love something to tide you over too, but I, I really, really liked the E.G. Marshall cockroach one this time. Yeah, that was the surprise this time around. Was uh, watching the E.G. Really Marshall pleasantly one. Pleasantly surprised. Even though I do got to say, you know, E.G. Marshall's playing a a germaphobe slash racist <laughs> character. Howard Hughes, <laughs> hateful Howard Hughes type. There's some seriously broad acting by an African American actor outside of a door that's almost borderline <laughs> offensive, but uh, maybe it's done on purpose. <laughs> I, I actually, I found, yeah, I found it to be not so only because I thought he was playing into what he thought was a stupid old man's yeah, yeah. Um, racist sentiment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, thinking about it now, you're right, it, it kind of feels like a an actor who knows this is a stupid old racist man and is, is playing it up yeah. to make yes. him really upset, you know. And E.G. Marshall is great in the film. He's, 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 he's really great. And he has this wild kind of like Dr. Frankenstein hair. He's really air. great. <laughs> Yeah, he really is. He would good. have been good in a, like a Coen Brothers film, man. I'm actually surprised he wasn't in any Coen Brothers work because he's totally a Coen oh, Brothers he look. He was amazing in this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I like that uh, Romero decided to go with the comic book panel style. Um, that can be hit or miss. I know you didn't like it when Ang Lee did it in uh, the Hulk, but that can be hit or miss sometimes. I like that he I like used it in this though. Yeah, yeah, he uses it. He uses it well. Uh, he uses the little comic blurbs too, which is nice. Yeah, and there's some animation. We should mention there's a little bit of animation in here, uh, which is really also nice. And uh, I got to say the the I love the Leslie Nielsen Ted Danson acting dynamic. Those two are great with each other. Um, but really that yeah. that story of all the stories felt like it hung around the longest for me this time around. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I didn't I didn't hate it or, or dislike it even. But is it your least favorite of the bunch? Uh, no, I think watching it this time. I think watching it this time, I think actually my least favorite of the bunch this time around was the Father's Day one. Same here. Same here. So it's interesting that that changed. <clears throat> because yeah. originally, I think that the least favorite of mine was something to tide me over. That tied you over. Yeah. Um, although I did always love the beach tide scene because I always thought that was horrific. Because I'm, I'm fearful of water, for those who don't know. And uh, I'm not a good swimmer. And uh, just don't like the way water makes me feel out of control and blah, blah, blah. 
And uh, so the idea of being buried in sand up to your neck and then the tide coming in is uh, bone chilling for me. Uh, so it's still that still works, by the way. Uh, that fear of, you know, for me. And, of course, I, the actor's pretty brave taking some pretty heavy hits with some water in the face. Well, I think I think if I remember, I saw the documentary about a year and ago, a year ago, a year and ago. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the shot with dancing underwater was dangerous, I think. Did they say that in the documentary or it almost went sideways or something? Or uh, Yeah. Yeah, they did say that. They said that... Um, they, well, they said that they had never done anything like that before, and uh, Tom Savini said that he had a sledgehammer in his hand in case things went wrong. Oh, yes, that's what it was, in case things went wrong, because he was in a, like a fish tank, right? Yeah, yeah, and he was sealed at the bottom because it has to hold water, so he yeah, was that's sealed right. that's in right. there. So they would give him a, uh, you know, a breathing apparatus to hold his breath and stuff, and they did all that for this shot that you know literally is on screen, like what, maybe three seconds, four seconds? yeah. So, yeah, but Savini was very nervous. I know that, so it would have made me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, though, the uh, the uh, performance by Adrienne Barbeau, I've never found her least sex- a li- less sexy than in this film. She fucking drives me bananas in this film. Okay. I don't like to throw this word around. We have a lot of female listeners. She is a fucking cunt. <laughs> The worst. Of the highest order. The but worst cunt of all cunts. Between her film. and Tom Atkins, I don't know, Romero had a hard on for putting cunts on screen in this film. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And I'll just add this other note because I hear my son getting up, so I'm going to have to let you get going on it. Because uh, I might have to kind of wrangle him at the same time while I record the end of this thing. But one other note is I never really noticed before, but this time around I noticed, and let me know if you got this vibe, but... The Fritz Weaver, the doctor in the crate, and the Hal Holbrook character, did you get a, like, maybe a slight homoerotic vibe out of those two? It's funny you say that because I did uh, a little bit more time. <clears throat> like, I did other Holbrook times. just wanted to spend time with Fritz Weaver. I mean, he, he didn't want to spend time yeah. with Billy. And, of course, who can blame him? She was a real cunt, but. She was such, I don't care how great her tits were. Zom, doesn't <laughs> matter about the tits, man. She was a cunt. Yeah, I mean, she was. The, I could not even get past the fact that, you know, I, I loved Adrian Barbeau growing up for obvious reasons, but in this film, she was, uh, <laughs> but you know, bravo yeah. to her. I mean, they told her to be a cunt and she, she did it, but yeah, that's all my notes. I really don't have a whole lot more to add. And like I say, I gotta, I hear a little elf moving around my house. I'll be as quick as I can here. Uh, is this the best horror anthology? Yes. I'm going to say yes off the top of yeah, my head. I won't even hesitate. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Because every, um, every story is legitimately good. Yeah, there's no there's no weak links. Everything is at least good to very good. Uh, whenever I see like a heavy marble anything, I think of the ashtray uh, oh, yeah. story in <laughs> Father's Day. Whenever I see anything big like that in real life, this has been 30 years almost. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of getting asked in this. I think, how easily could that cave a skull in? Very easily. Um, yeah. Um, brr, 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 brr. Uh, oddly, when Ed Harris is paralyzed with fear, he yells like a cowardly lion. If you go back and hear that, his yell is like, it's, kind of, it's very strange, very strange. Um, I thought Richard and the sister, uh, the two kind of blue blood Richie Riches, they played well as sort of shitty silver spoon kids. They yeah. played that up well. It's a kind of a thankful, that's kind of a thankful performance, the uh, rich people in the, waiting around the dinner table and stuff. But I thought, all, yeah, I thought they all did well. 
they all did well. Everyone. In fact, that's the key, I think, to this film being the best in horror anthology is I don't think there's a bad performance in the film. No. Like some are maybe the, not so subtle. Maybe Joe Hill being a kid actor and a novice kid, actor. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, him because the there's something he does at the end that's like <laughs> not really very good acting. But in his defense, he is a kid and never acted before, so I think it works. Yeah. Averil, yeah, King really acquits himself well, and I think it really evokes that 50 sci-fi space sort of meteor uh, thing really well. And I love that when Jordy Averill's a daydreamer, and you, you get the sense he's isolated, he's alone on this farm, you get the sense his dad died, he's by himself, really elicits a lot of sympathy. His daydreams are, are they're poignant in some way, they're, they're funny, but I love that he daydreamed about the money he's going to make, that at the university he's going to go to the Department of Meteors. <laughs> Yeah. That's what yeah. it says in the door. It's it's great. Um, I love. Uh, what is it? Uh, the boyish. Well, she has this boyish kind of solitary existence. It does make you kind of sad. And the really poignant line in that sequence, um, he says, "Please God, let my luck be good just this once." Yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty pretty poignant moment for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I like seeing the ads in the comic book between the stories, Tony Atlas and By the Joy Buzzer and the Sea Monkey type shit. Yeah, the voodoo doll. Uh, voodoo doll, yeah. And uh, I love Ted Dance, and he has a great GGTMC line when Leslie Nielsen shows up, and then Ted Dance is wearing a house coat, and he says, this may work on TV, mister, but I can bench press 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> there's very, there's a lot of GGTMC-esque moments in the Tide, Me, uh, Tide You Over sequence, the kind of playboy mansion on the beach with the cardigans and the fucking jeep and (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's amazing nielsen is really fantastic as the villain really fantastic and it's a shame as see he was great as drevin i mean he had impeccable comedic timing well i think i think the thing with nielsen is is that he has heavy sensibilities like he can play the bad guy and he's got this great voice and this great look. And he's like one of the most natural actors I can ever think of on screen is Leslie Nielsen. I mean, he, yeah. but he also, yeah, he, I think he's, you know, arguably one of the most talented actors maybe of all time because he could do it all, man. He could do it all. I wish he had have done more, though, to stretch his legs. Yeah, yeah. I wish he would have done more. To, he, man, he got comfortable and uh, yeah, he did yeah. the comedy stuff and he did it well, but uh yeah. I do wish he would have done more stuff because he plays a fucking evil bastard in this, and I really think he's great. He totally does. And I'll tell you, Bryn, our boy Bryn, would have loved Leslie's sweater in this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he would have loved Leslie's sweater, and CDR would have hated Danson's tan ensemble. Yeah. Because he hates men that wear tan that wear tan clothing. Yeah, and the, uh, uh, the, the Bryn wouldn't have liked, the only thing he wouldn't have liked about uh, Nielsen's uh, sweater was the uh, fact that he was wearing a button-up underneath of it. He wouldn't like that shit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can't wear sweater, no shirt underneath, Bryn. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. It feels horrible to me. Yeah. Gotta uh, wear something under the sweater, man. I, I do too, but that's because Even of... Even with a sweatshirt, I gotta wear a t-shirt under a sweatshirt. For me, it's nipple hair. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaters will pull a nipple hair out, bro. Yeah, and that shit does oh, that. That sure. shit ain't funny. You talk about making a man cry. Well, yeah. If you run in a sweatshirt with no, with oh. no t-shirt on, it chafes the nipple, man. Oh, I used to, man. when I was training, like uh, jogging and stuff for like football and stuff, you got to wear a t-shirt, yeah. bro. I need it's, my yeah, I need my nipples to be fresh at all times. One one nipple would always <laughs> chafe. Uh, the crab. I like the moment with the crab in the that sequence. Uh, something to tide you over. Because I think it punctuates how vulnerable a spot Ted Danson's in. Yeah, yeah. And 
what a, what a spot to be in. Like, what do you do? What do you do? Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can do. You're fucked. Yeah. You're stuck between a rock and a hard place, man. Yeah. Once he gets him in, I, I remember mean, when I was a kid, I thought once he gets him in and he leaves him, I thought, man, why didn't he, why didn't he dig himself out? But you know, you can't, yeah. you can't, it's you're like, it's, it's like, yeah. it's like concrete at that point. You know, you got that much. If, of course, I know in the movie he's probably not realistically buried like that. But I mean, if you were buried in that much sand, you couldn't get out you of that. Move. You could not fucking move. It should be said. I, I want to say this for the record. I am not a fan of being buried in sand. I've been to beaches. I don't. I don't mind beaches. I enjoy a good beach time. I don't mind sand between the toes that much. But uh, you're not burying me in sand, and the reason why is because sand gets in places that it shouldn't get. And yeah, I do not. True. I do not like that feeling. Sandy urethra Ooh. ain't no thang in the Smith Ooh. household. Ooh. Actually, it is a thang, a thing I don't want. <laughs> a thang. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I love uh, I love that, that shot when Danson looks at the monitor when the water starts hitting him, and he basically says to Neil, he's like, I'm going to get you. Yeah, I love that too. He's so determined. I think, uh, you know, and it's, it's great because it, what were you going to say? I, I think one of my biggest problems with tied me over this or tied you over this time was that, though. I mean, is there any reason why the the characters that the thing happens to, is there any reason why? Is is it his madness? I think it's his madness, right? I don't think it really I happens. I really examined it. That's an interesting question. Um, you could look at it that way. You could look at it just as a moral fable, like a lot of ghost stories where yeah, he yeah. did them wrong and, and uh, he's going to fucking pay. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, you know. Right? Yeah, but it's great because when when something happens there that they you know, not smell anything, when they get you know they get their treatment. Um, it's almost like this Edda Del Orso kind of voice. Uh, yeah, this music's playing, and then we get to see Nielsen in that velour tracksuit. Yeah, <laughs> and then ooh, come on now. Yeah, what do we got here? Oh, uh, I love the fog and the seaweed in his house. Yes, looks real great, and they almost remind me of like Japanese ghosts. Yeah, very they, white. Yeah, very, uh, very pruned, like you get yeah, when you stay in the water pain. for a long time. Yeah, and I love how black the blood is when they get shot. Yeah, it's great. It looks really good, um, and of course that old trick of bullets don't work. Let's throw the gun at them. <laughs> that old thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Billy, uh, call me Billy. Everyone does. Yeah. Just, oh, just the worst. Um, <laughs> just the worst. And uh, Holbrook does like a very much a nod to Dirty Harry in this when he grabs. He has a daydream and he's gone. It's a great squib moment oh, and yeah. a lovely golf clap. To, to yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and, the humor of George Romero is totally coming through in the crate. Oh yeah, it's great. And I love Billy. She says to him, "Oh Henry, what would you do without me? <laughs> You're like a kid." like a kid it's just the worst man just the worst and um i like the crate because it, it looks at sort of that thing of the human nature of curiosity yeah you know it's just uh, i also like yeah, that scene i like that scene in the crate a lot this time around where the fritz weaver character <laughs> explaining to holbrook he does they don't show him explaining the whole story because you've seen it but then they cut to mm-hmm. fritz weaver he's pretty much done explaining it you can see on holbrook's face that he's putting the plan together like right then and there it's it's falling into his lap. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It is it is great. He's gonna kill two birds with one stone. Um, it's very much I a Coen Brothers s story without uh, with supernatural elements in a way. The yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I like the sound design on the arm munching. I mean, it's good. And, and I love the, the moment when the camera goes almost, not black and white, I can't what it goes, but when the janitor gets eaten and there's the blood is a bit thin looking, but I love the way it trickles down his, um, yeah, his yeah. work shirt. Yeah, it's good. When he's getting pulled into the crate, I thought it looked really good. And I think this film does well to take advantage of limited locales for each story. One or two, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And no great piece of great prop that's effective is that chewed up shoe. Yes, that, that's that awesome. Dexter carries around. I think that works real well. And um, great neck bite in this. That might be the best kind of gore moment for me is the neck bite and the face slash by the creature to the uh, grad student. Yeah, that's old school Tom Savini, right? Yeah, that one looks real good. And I love it because at this moment, Holbrook goes from kind of uh, lost in space, kind of drifting to he's given the clarity a purpose. You can see kind of the light go on with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, great. And I love the, the moment with the Wilma letter and he gets her to come to the college and um, it's really, really great. Uh, man, I'll tell you, booze and milk. What a mixture. Yeah, not my thing. Not my thing. I mean, what is it? Uh, white Russians? They're fine, but I don't know. Booze and milk isn't a real good combination. Yeah, white Russian, that's half and half, though. Isn't, that isn't full milk, right? Well, I guess. That's right, yeah. Yeah. But you're, but you're still, yeah, you're in dairy. But even still, that, there's not too many drinks that can pull that off. No, that's a tough one. Ugh. I love how Billy revels in all this juicy, horrible talk. Like she just, she delights in hearing about all these shitty things happening to other people because she has such a low opinion of the rest of the world. Right, right. Um, and I love that uh, Holbrook has such a feeble attempt initially to try to do something. Yeah. I think it's very fitting. And and this is when she really like, if you didn't hate her, you will hate her now. When she says to him. Uh, she says, you're a regular barnyard exhibit. Sheep eyes, chicken guts, piggy friends, shitting and shit for brains. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, she's horrible. And then she talks about him being how bad he is in the bedroom and just tears him apart, man. Just totally rips him down to nothing. And uh, my favorite line from him, though, and I laughed a few times when, when she gets underneath there by the crate. And he says to her, because she doesn't know the context yet, and he says, just tell it to call you Billy. <laughs> it's so great, man. Yeah. It's so great. It's a total middle, uh, total middle finger moment. It is a total for, total uh, middle finger moment. Um, I love the eyes better than the creature. I think they could have showed less with the creature and just kept with eyes and maybe like a claw. Yeah. He's exposing the creature. It does look a bit silly. Yeah, it does. And I think that, you know, what he's going for, I mean, obviously, like I said, I think Savini wanted to get into monsters and... I think what he was trying to do there was kind of show some of his work. And and I know that Romero liked the way it looked a lot and stuff. It does look pretty cartoonish when you look it at does. it now and pretty silly. Um, mm-hmm. It still works because it's so, I don't know, I really like the moments with the moisture on the teeth. Those are pretty great. Yes. Yeah, they totally are. But I think they, they could have totally just are. stuck with the head and the hands and they would have been fine. They show a little too much of it, I realize, this time around. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, we already said E.G. Marshall's fantastic. He has so many zingers in this. He tells someone to go out and fuck somebody. And, uh, <laughs> he does. Someone says something. He says, don't worry. You make sure you wear a condom. Everybody's got the herpes. Everyone's got the herpes. <laughs> and uh, what does he say? Someone says something like, do you, do you screw over everybody? And he says, or something. Oh, and he goes, only the stupid ones. <laughs> and uh, well, when someone dies... There's just so many great lines from him. I don't want to go over them all because they're really great in the context, but he is zinging them left and right. Yeah. And uh, I love the exchange between um, between him and that black guy because I do think the black guy is very much playing into 
this uh, this stereotype that this stupid old man has, um, and I think it works quite quite well. It, I love like the fish eye lens that it uses with their mouths and stuff. Yeah, I think it works well. And it's almost like a bit of a like a lower rent THX 1138 kind of futuristic feel to that apartment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the jukebox works real well. Yeah, I love the, the jukebox. music works perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. And uh, as maybe the execution isn't there, I love that there is a bit of a payoff with one of the mail order items. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, interesting note I saw in the credits because I think every segment has a bit of a different feel, which is nice. It never feels redundant. Is I love or uh, every segment had a different editor. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I remember one of the editors was uh, Pasquale Buba. Nice. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite nice. editor names. Pasquale That's Buba. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, good old Pasquale. Pasquale Buba. There, <laughs> yeah, you could say Pasquale's name like that. Hey, Pasquale Buba. <laughs> there, boy. Let me, let me, uh, what, what, let me look here real quick. I want to see. What else do I know? I know Pasquale Buba from something. Uh yeah, Paul Hirsch uh, 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 edited one. Romero actually did the something to tide you over sequence. Oh, interesting. So I didn't know he did that. Okay, so Pasquale did Day of the Dead and Night nice. Riders. So that's why I, I guess I know him mostly for Romero because he did Monkey Shines. He did Romero's. Uh, actually, I don't know if Romero directed the Black Cat, so but he may have worked with Argento on that one. He did the Dark Half. Looks like he's worked with Romero quite a bit. Um, but he's done some stuff. Yeah. Oh. He did uh, Johnny Depp's uh, directorial debut, which has never really been officially released, The Brave. Oh, nice. Which is him and Brando. So. I actually own that on DVD, believe it or not. I actually found that on DVD somewhere. It's not a bootleg. It got it like squeaked out somewhere. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. Never seen um, that, it's not great. <laughs> and Brando's totally <laughs> just hanging out, you know. Anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, so Pasquale Buba, let's go on, let's move on here. Oh. Uh, <laughs> went from some weird language from Lunkhead to that. Um, my make or break. Now, make or break for this was really tough. I, I don't know. It's tough. I don't have one yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got a question mark for mine, so I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Um, I'm going to go with that janitor pulled up into the crate scene because I really love that. Yeah. I love that it's physically, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, the physics of it. It is, yeah. Almost as ridiculous as the raft coming out of the plane in uh, Indiana and, Jones. <laughs> and almost as ridiculous as Ed Harris kicking back for the tombstone to fall. That dude waits there for so long with arm just getting chewed on. Yeah, he does, he does. I had to actually say to myself, like, well, maybe the creature has some sort of paralyzing toxin in his bite. Because <laughs> yeah. what other logic is there? I was telling myself the same thing, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I miss a scene where they said maybe he was had a toxic bite? But I was like, wait a minute, this is the first time they've ran into the creature, so we don't know anything. But I do like that sequence. I love the way he's pulled up into the thing. It works quite well, and still works well, and still, uh, still pretty effective. It's very strange that the creature goes back to its little spot under the stairs with the crate. It's very weird. I don't understand what. Yeah, it doesn't run amok. I guess probably just more for for budgetary and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever reasons. Very interesting. I'm going to go, my MVT for this is also going to be a combo. It's going to be the King Romero double deuce there because this nice. really does feel like them kind of going through their childhoods and yep. kind of uh, just kind of getting off on it and stuff. And I know that this film kind of came about quickly for them, that they were talking about something else, but then they were able to kind of just get this going. 
and uh, they were both really excited about it. And I think it really holds up and is part of King's uh, kind of the, the the kind of legacy he's left behind. I think this cinematically might be some of his best work. And uh, Romero, who you know has gotten shit on quite a bit, especially in the last five to ten years. But at one point in time, was one of the preeminent, you know, horror filmmakers, and uh, I still think his classic stuff holds up well. Uh, and it's really nice to go back and look at some of his uh, classic stuff, uh, and just remember how much I love George Romero. I mean, he was never a stylist, but he was always no. a very, very competent and very effective filmmaker. I think. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on your Creed. score. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, I got to give a score, don't I? I'm going to give this one a, uh, I'm going to go the same. I'm going to give it 8.5 out of 10. I could almost go nice. 9, but I think that I had some problems with some of the stories this time. And the running time was really the most disturbing part for me this time. And I know that sounds silly to say disturbing, but I got to admit, you know, two hours, you know, I just, it, it, it felt it this time, which was the first time for me that it actually felt that way. I don't know if it's an age thing or what that is, but 8.5. No, you know what? 8.75 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Make or break. I'm going to go with the line at the end of some, uh, the lonesome death of Jordy Vero when he says, let my luck be good just this once. I think it's the most emotionally, the most poignant moment in the, the whole film. Yeah, and uh, it actually, that, that film is actually, I mean, that small film is actually quite bittersweet as well. I kind of like the way it ends. Yeah, no, that's, that's my make or break. It's, I had a hard time choosing. I love so many moments in this film, and it's hard to separate my childhood from this because it is... It was one of the first horror films I ever saw. There is, there's uh, way, so there's always. way too many good moments in this film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, MBT, I was going to go with the EC Comics feel and aesthetic, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, ride in the uh, the sidecar with you on this one and and take yeah. King Romero, the King Romero combo, um, because I think working together they really bring something to life here that was really special and I, I don't think it's been beaten. And there's been a lot of suckers that have tried to topple the the take the crown, the snatch the crown of horror anthology from these guys, but it's it's, it's numero uno. Yeah, I've seen um, I've I seen see. a lot of anthologies with good stories in them, but not one that's good from minute one to minute end like this one. Yeah, oddly, the runtime didn't bother me, uh, which I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, I sound like uh, I sound like an old man when I say that, but <laughs> no, 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 two hours, man. I mean, that's that's a long time. Um, but uh, my score for the film is a little lower than yours. It's an eight point two five out of ten. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm really glad to have it on blue because I always felt like it was a film because of how stylish or colorful it was. Yeah. It would look great on blue. Yeah, I'm going to uh, say this week these two blues are must owns. Yes, I think you know. Yes, I, like I, I say, I think 100%. I think you can go DVD on a solemn precinct thirteen be fine, but I definitely think this one. This is the version of Creep Show to own. Totally is. But again, because you're getting a 90 minute documentary, you're getting some other stuff. Two commentary you tracks. You get two commentary tracks. Yeah, I think one with Savini. Yeah, one with Savini and Romero, and I think the other one's with. Uh, well, fuck, I can't remember who the other one's with. But too bad it wasn't King and Romero, eh? Yeah, it would have been nice to have King on there. Yeah, it would have been nice. But, okay. uh, yeah, no, I agree with you, man. I'm glad you picked these. It's uh, nice to get into some. We, we do try to get into some deep cuts sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. nice to see. You know, some some classics that we love. Yeah, nice to mix it up. I've been wanting to do Assault on Precinct 13 for a long time, so it was a good opportunity for us. And like I said, I was holding out for Creep Show. It was like maybe we, because we had kind of talked about Creep Show before on the phone. 
and in and you know in in person and things like that and we kind of I'd always ask the question what people thought of Creepshow too because you know there's a couple stories in Creepshow too I like quite a bit but the film itself is I like it yeah. yeah so I thought about doing a double deuce with that one but I couldn't pass up the opportunity to check this disc out because uh, it's just loaded man I mean it's must own so for all those collectors out there and you know who you are make sure you guys pick it up I wonder if Kelly's got this I don't think he does I bet he will yeah, now. Good question, <laughs> I bet he will now. <laughs> All right, uh, so that is the show this week. Um, again, <clears throat> my voice. Again, head on over to DiabolicDVD.com. Make sure you mention that we sent you over there, please. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great for them, great for us. It's a lucrative uh, relationship, and uh, it's been great being in the saddle with those guys. They're great guys over there. They're very personal. <clears throat> we deal mostly with one individual named Jesse who we should mention. We don't mention him that much on the show. We tried to get him on the show. We have never got him on, but maybe one day. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's a great dude, and he's been great to us. And, uh, yeah, we love those guys. So definitely head over. we got another good one coming next month, which should be interesting. <laughs> definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – yeah, we'll be interested to see how that goes. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing next week. Do we get something planned? before? No, but we do want to – Wish everyone a very, very happy new year, a very yeah. safe and happy new year. Whether you're dancing like Ed Harris or you're uh, curled up on the couch with some cashews in your family. Yeah. Uh, or if you have a nut allergy, then maybe cheesies, I don't know, sliced vegetables, whatever your mm. your, uh, your choices are. But uh, thanks for everyone for, the, I guess, that's been with us for the, through the year. And um, we'll probably, as we've, we've been known to do, we'll announce it <laughs> in Ed Harris style and the group. Uh, Sometime in the next week, maybe yeah. it'll be. Who knows? Twenty thirteen has been great. Uh, I've like I've posted on the Facebook group. I've had some bumps going on in in uh, my personal life. Nothing major, but I mean, just very busy and and life gets that way sometimes and stuff. But I'm looking forward to twenty fourteen, and uh, I know you are as well. And we're looking forward to you know doing this show and just having a blast like we have for so many times. I couldn't wait to do the show this week. I went to sleep last Me night. Too. And, and was uh, so excited I couldn't sleep, which is always a, I guess, a good sign. But as you get older, it kind of sucks, too. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I didn't get in until 1.30 or so because yeah. we went to a late show yeah. of, um, thing. But I was like, I could not wait to ask you some certain questions like, uh, you know, well, what's your segment? What's your favorite in this? And what you think about this? And, right, right. You know, it's, it's nice to have that. It is. But uh, I don't know what we're doing next week. Maybe, maybe we should do, uh, maybe, we haven't done a vinegar syndrome and feedback in a while. We can do that, or maybe Kickstarter, maybe. Either one. Either one. Okay. Well, we'll I guess we can announce it uh, on the group. Yeah, we'll do one or the other. And I know we got some uh, cool guests coming, uh, and some uncool guests coming <laughs> in the yeah. near future. So it's going to be fun. Going to have a good January. Going to have a good year. I can feel it. It's going to be yeah. an awesome year. All right. So I think that's everything. Yeah. Uh, with that, I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 